Hey guys, uh, getting into everything here. Very excited for this episode. Q and A, a lot of great questions, and uh, getting into talking about Fort Scott here. It's actually funny. I woke up this morning and saw one of our guests we had on not too long ago. Uh, Jason Piccolo is now a true believer in Fort Scott munitions. The guy is like purchasing stuff all the time, and found out about them through us. And you know, he's former law enforcement, former uh, military, so he knows his stuff and. He, he is well-versed in weapons, so the fact that it's good enough for him, it's good enough for you guys. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC-spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger, Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online through fortscottmunitions.com. I'll spell it out for you guys, and it's in the description. F-O-R-T-S-C-O-T-T-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N-S.com. Use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. And you know what? Before we get into everything uh, related to to Battleline Tactical and Fort Scott Munitions, I saw some people when I was pitching for questions were like, "No, don't do the podcast. You should be in Nevada right now teaching the course." Which because your company is doing a course, but not yeah, you right but, now. Yeah, ben, Ben's down there. Morgan from Morgan Timing System. Ben, you know, Ben and I have been uh, working, and Ben's been an instructor Battleline since dang, almost it started. I think he. Picked him up six months in. Ben and I have gone way back since high school. He was a ranger, a first ranger battalion. He was also with 19 Special Forces Group. He was an officer and enlisted guy as well, and a tremendous shooter. So we had a course. We had to, we had to cancel last year because of the hippity bippity virus. So some people still wanted to do it. There was so he he went down there and he's running it right now. And uh, and he's closer. The guy she's in Colorado, so it didn't take him that long to get down there. Nebraska, it take me a few days to drive, drive down there. And it's family time. We'll get another one in, in Vegas or Boulder City or Henderson and knock it out. But Ben's down there right now teaching it. And you're going to learn more from Ben with pistol anyway from than from me. So I just and not last year. You mean more like six months ago? No. As far, oh, was the hippity-bippity virus? Was it six months ago? It wouldn't be a year ago, dude. <laughs> it shows you. It shows how much I pay attention to everything. Yes. Since mm, help me out. March, April. Was April yeah, or March? About six months ago. Or six months ago. Year, six months. Okay, tomato, tomato, 220, 221, whatever it takes. <laughs> That's a mom movie reference from Mr. Mom. You wouldn't get it in because you're no. still too damn young. I, no, that's not true. I, You know what? I had Mr. Mom on VHS. Oh, uh, you, oh you did? Okay. It was born in 86. I, I haven't seen it in years, though. I, You know how I think I got it? I, I'm pretty sure I remember it was like something they gave out at McDonald's. I, I have a very vivid memory for weird shit. And I remember having a Mr. Mom VHS with the McDonald's logo on it. And I think it was like a giveaway. Dude, that's right. I That was still the best, but one of the best movies ever made. Michael Keaton is a tremendous actor. I love it. He, he was in that. What other movie was he in? It was fantastic. It was a... Uh, 
the, the, where he took over, the Japanese came in and bought their, their company. Um, made in America is what it was called. It was, it was, that was hilarious. As well. I'm looking up Mr. Mom. You know what though? I mean, I was born in 86 and it came out in 83. So it was just, you know, I, I know of it. I can't tell. I haven't seen it since I was extremely little. Couldn't tell you the first thing. I didn't even remember it was Michael Keaton. But with that, uh, for Scott Munitions, let's, uh, let's get into everything, uh, everything else. Yeah. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on, Battleline Podcast, this episode, uh, Q&A, and I'm sure you guys see the title. I do want to get into this, uh, at least briefly, because y- the thing is, we've done a very good job, I think, with this podcast, and I'm proud of, of avoiding the election, avoiding politics for the most part. However, when it kind of goes into either gun rights or special operations military, I think it's always fair to say, that's our wheelhouse. We should talk about it. So... I texted yesterday and at least wanted to mention the whole SEAL Team 6 controversy of Trump posting this article saying this crazy QAnon conspiracy that basically the the, the guy who was killed was a bin Laden body double, no basis in reality. And he was even confronted about it last night at the town hall. And he was just like, I retweeted it. It doesn't mean that I believe it. And it, if there was any basis in reality for something like that, it wouldn't be a tweet. That would be a major be, uh, yeah. Yeah. international issue. Um, yeah. You know, I trust the guys who are there at SEAL Team 6. And I know that there's always been controversy over who the actual shooter is. Um, you know, I, I've met Rob O'Neill. I take Rob O'Neill at his word. But I know that there's guys, you know, Jack, Jack Murphy has written that he, he does not take Rob O'Neill at his word. Either way, the guys at SEAL Team 6, they were there. They did what we know that they did. And I, I thought it was a desperate thing to tweet out and, and a stupid thing to tweet out. Well, I say, I don't, I don't know why he would even, you know, consider it, you know, if, I don't, being desperate, I, I don't know what he would need to be desperate of. I, you know, I, I don't think there's, you know, again, and I don't, you, you and I both, I, you, I don't follow the elect. I, I really don't. I don't follow it. I don't have, I didn't even know there was a freaking um, debate. <laughs> the two debates that I had no idea until it popped up on a, some meme popped up on Instagram what yesterday or two days ago. But again, why why even? It, you know, really, we haven't unless I've missed something and help me out, Ian. I don't know if I have or not. Um, because I don't follow the media a whole bunch. 
the terrorist attacks against Americans have been down, way down since uh, he became president. Why even go into the bin Laden bullshit? Why not say, hey, look what I look what's gone on. Look what I've done. Look, as a president, the tax have gone down. At least be positive about it. Why even throw something out there that, like you said, has no basis in reality? All he has to do, and he's it's not like him and his his sons aren't friends with Rob O'Neill or yeah. You can't, and, and Rob and Rob, I mean, Rob up until now has been a diehard Trump supporter, very vocal about it. So why would you alienate that? And people are saying that the bromance is kind of over because Rob went on CNN and he was very pissed off. And understandably so, the same way I think you were pissed off when yeah. <laughs> Benghazi was called conspiracy theory by the last president. Yeah, and, and, what, and what did I say? And I know I said. I said I was going to choke choke the former. I want to reach the TV and, you know, and, and what I meant, choke him out. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, regardless, <laughs> and, we don't need and by the way, for the people, I mean, since we're just, yeah. since it's just audio for the podcast, yeah, yeah. He's saying just like in a wrestling sense, this is not a violent <laughs> threat. We had, well, we had Diamond Dallas Page on, you know, when I was on last, so I'm, I'm kind of going that same route with the rest. No, we had Leo Jenkins when you're on last. Well, no, oh, the two ten two podcasts ago, guys. Leo, sorry, Leo Ranger, I'm pushing pushing for you, but yeah, it, it is. It's, it's just something that's that. It's always why you even said it. Why? What? What are? What do you benefit? What is the? What is the benefit off doing this? Except alienating your base, which he did with at least part of it, and obviously he did by Rob O'Neill. And you said I didn't know Rob did. Rob went on CNN. So yeah, Rob went on CNN with Chris Cornwell. Yeah, obviously he did alienate <laughs> part of his base. When or you could have just done this. Hey, cell phone. Hey, Rob. Um, did you guys really shoot Bin Laden? You did? Okay, good enough for me. Phone down. Don't say anything. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, I just don't, I don't understand the ends to that. And um, but again, I, I don't understand the ends to a lot of political bullshit. And I start yeah, with it anymore. I, I just don't, don't, I just don't care. You just don't. Yeah, no. I, but there's it. always been, there's always been any major event. There's always going to be controversy and there's always going to be conspiracy theories, but a, a lot of it was covered. And I actually will give credit to Jack Murphy for certain things really explaining because very early on people were saying, why was the body body dumped at sea? This whole idea of traditional Muslim burial. And I think Jack gave the most logical explanation that was pretty clear. If you use your common sense, it's that all those guys at SEAL Team 6 dumped several rounds into Bin Laden. His body was completely mutilated at that point. It would have come out as some type of war crime that though people aren't going to care because it's been Laden. So they just said, let's check the DNA. They checked the DNA. They got who it was and they dumped the body at sea so that they didn't have to deal with that. And well, it's pretty logical. And, you know, honestly, this the, the what's been said in one of our, our Facebook live, uh, our, our live uh, uh, um, participants just told us it, this has been this isn't new. This is something that's been said, like said, the QAnon thing has been said before. So I think most people, honestly, yeah, aside from the people that were involved, like Rob, were pissed off. Everybody else was kind of like, oh, why? And okay, what's the next? What's the next news of the day? Which it's, yeah, but it, that's not a good thing either. It's not like that's a positive either. It's no, like, because it's it, the first and foremost. I think it's disrespectful to those guys, whether it's Matt Bissonette, you know, aka yeah, 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 or yeah. any of the guys. Yeah. You know, it's not just Rob O'Neill. It was everybody at SEAL Team Six. Uh, you know, and those guys don't really do media, but I'm sure the rest of them said, "What the fuck, man? We did a great thing for our country. Why? Why shouldn't that be celebrated?" Yeah, join the fucking club. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, because we're in the military and 
that's just how it is. And it sucks, but that's a, that's okay. Cause in the military now with guys like Rob or, you know, like myself or, uh, you know, you, you get guys even like Marty Scovlin out there, great ranger out there putting out the truth. You get guys out there telling the truth. That's why honestly a lot of veterans, even though they don't feel like they need to, cause they feel like it's a bravado thing. A lot of veterans that have been through or military personnel that have been through events like that need to put it out. there. They need to get because history is going to be changed by schools, education, the civilian population, politicians. But when a person on the ground says this is what happened, you have the history. So that's what's beautiful about, you know, I, I don't have any problem with Zero Dark Thirty. You know, the, the CIA was glamorized a bit, way a bit too much in that movie. Um, but Having veterans like Rob go out there or Bissonette, tremendous, great, he's a great seal, great guy. Guys going out there saying this is what happened. The history is there for real. Nobody's going to change that no matter how much you tweet, no matter how much you go to college college campuses and say, oh, this is a conspiracy. It didn't happen. When the guys are saying that it's happened on the ground, then at least the people after them and the kids are getting real history out there. So I always say, hey, veterans, put your stories out there. You do need to put them out there, not because you're needing to beat your chest, brother. It's because people need to know the truth of what took place and what heroism and courage and acts of valor took place. So when the next generation comes up, it's not going to be watered down by the political bullshit in D.C. and the media. That's right there. This is what happened. And and it gives honestly, it's, it's a, still a positive to me, positive for this country of, of, to have people like like Rob. Even though, you know, Rob and I have our differences on some things, but like Rob, like Jack, like Bissonette, like Roan, like Bub, like, you know, like guys like that, 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 uh, you know, that um, Scovlin and, 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 you know, Leo Jenkins and Tom Block. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline that actually went through the events and can say, this is what happened. So it doesn't get, it doesn't get into the grinder in DC and, and chained and manipulated. So yeah, I, 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 you go ahead, brother, but I think I beat that horse dead. Um, no, I, I, I'm glad we're getting into it, man. I, I think it's appropriate for us to get into and, and Matt Bissonette, I never met and we'd love to get him on the podcast, which once again is for those listening who don't know the name, Mark Owen, no easy day. Uh, uh, the one thing I can say about him is he got a pretty raw deal with the money being taken from the proceeds for that book because of the yeah. whole DOD clearance stuff. And I, I mean, I don't know your feeling on, you know, him not getting cleared, but I don't think he did anything morally wrong. Yeah. He told his story and, and that was it. And actually, uh, you know, the criticism some people have of Rob O'Neill is why do you have to make it about yourself rather than the team? And what I know about this and that's book is it was about the team. He didn't say I did this. He never claimed to be the shooter. He just, it was about what SEAL Team Six did. That and that's a that, I think that's just a, p- a personality thing between the two. But Mark or, or Matt Bissonette, yeah. If you read his book, there's nothing classified in there. It just didn't at the time. And actually, I was I read it when I was in Libya. To be honest, that's when I read read his book, and because I was curious, like why? Because I heard that you know he's getting. Rome was telling me, and so was Jack that they they were get he was getting hammered by DOD because the book shouldn't have been coming out. It was terrible. He shouldn't have wrote it. it wasn't cleared. 
So I read it. I'm like, well, what is so big about this book that it needed to be cleared? There's nothing classified in that book. Nothing. Nothing about operations. Nothing about tactics. Nothing in there. But it didn't. There was a. There was something in there that didn't speak well about Obama. Obama, because at that time Obama was like, yeah, look what I did, and Matt, and it was very small. And I, I can't even specifically what it said, but it was like, hey, he he did he did what he was supposed to do. He sent the seals in to do the job. We did the job. It wasn't the DC politicians. The, the teams did it, which he's correct. There's nothing bad about that. And I just think that that because it didn't put the old presidential um, staff, the old the poll administration in a positive light as they were trying to do for themselves. I think they hammered him with that. That's my opinion. But you're right. And that also taught us and those after him a valuable lesson that no matter how non-classified your story is, you've got to get it cleared. And that made us when we decided as a team to come out with 13 hours, that was our first thing as we were thinking of Matt. We we're like, OK, what happened to Matt? What do we need to do differently so they can't come and screw us over like they did Matt? Because they did. They did. Matt, there's nothing classified in that book. It's a tremendous book. He did a great job. He was about the team. He told the truth. He didn't pump up the old administration because they didn't need to be pumped up because they didn't do shit. They did. The SEALs did the job. The team and those associated with the military at that time and associated with Blue at that time did the job. But it was, OK, we do got to get this clear because if we don't and we don't have a clearance attorney on our side, they're going to come after us and take at minimum the proceeds of what the book was making. And that, you know, that can be a substantial sum. And in both cases, when you don't have any more work because you're telling the truth, because you've lost your security clearances or you've been released from your, your line of duty, which both of us were in both cases with our our book and then Matt with his, there's your income. You're going to get any more income. And you, yeah, yeah and be like, oh, you're making tons of money off the book. Honestly, when you don't have a lot of income, you're, you're making enough to keep you afloat for a few years. But after did, that, did Matt, did Matt ever even write another book? I don't know. I, I you know what, brother? That's a good search. I don't know. I'm more, I'm more maybe one of our, I don't think he did. I think that was it. Um, <laughs> You know what this? Uh, yeah, I think he did actually. It's like no hero, the evolution of a mm. seal. But That's I'm right. guessing yeah, that he couldn't have done as well as no easy day because after you do the book about the bin Laden shoot, that's, I mean, that's the main thing people want to hear. I mean, it's pretty indicative of this. Just looking on Amazon, no easy day, yeah. over 8,000 reviews. No hero has 558 reviews. So that gives you an indication of yeah. how many more people read no easy day. And that's the one that he didn't make a penny from as far as I know. Well, yeah, you know, and that's the thing with that is, is he did it at a, a great time that, that came out when it, it was like a buzzsaw. It needed to come out. You know, the perfect storm, they call it in the, in the book world or the movie world or whatever else. It came out right at a time that should have, you know, people wanted to know what happened to Bin Laden. People wanted to know how he was killed. And they just wanted to feel like they were part of that avengeance or avengers, the vengeance that was coming to, to, to see that guy finally dead. So um, I don't think any book would have come. It doesn't matter what anybody would have wrote. It wouldn't have matched at that sales of that book at that time because it was like i said the perfect storm hit at the right time and it was a well-written book it was a good it was a good book and it was you're right like i said it wasn't me 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 it was team and yeah and i don't want to i'm not trying to paint um rob in a in a bad light because i actually really like rob i've gotten a hang with rob about three times i've texted with we're both diehard howard stern fans like <laughs> so if he hears this i nothing but respect for rob i'd have rob on here anytime i'm just saying Look, I being as objective as I can, that is some of the criticism is there are people who go, it should have been more about the teams and less about you. There's people who are going to feel that way. 
Um, but I will say this with Rob's book, when you're talking about the classified stuff, Rob's book, every time SEAL Team 6 is mentioned, it's blacked out. That's how ridiculous the review process has gotten. Yeah. We all know who he's talking about. Yeah, well, that, that's just the review board. That's when you go through the process, and I've gone through the process, of course, and and it is, it's a redaction. They will come through and they'll say, can you take this out? Can you take this out? And it's normally recommendations too. It's not, you need this out, you need this out, or they'll give you a report back. Like ours, they gave us our report here. We read your manuscript here it is, and everything's redlined. <laughs> You're like, no, but that's why you get the attorney. Like, okay, hey, what do we really need to have redlined? What is an actual recommendation or maybe a threat? If you put this in there, we're going to come after you. Well, is it illegal to put in there? No, but we're going to come after you. That's why you have the somebody that's smarter than you that knows about literary clearances, security clearances, has worked uh, in multiple cases with the agency or DOD level uh, personnel from the Pentagon that knows right, this is where they're trying to scare you. Okay, this is where you really need to take it out because it's against the law. You can't, it's against your security clearances. And um, yeah, I, I don't know who's Rob, if Rob had an attorney at the time. Um, and sometimes I would guess he did. I mean, it was huge. So, yeah. And that's probably what his advice was hey, you probably want to take this out. Well, I, I looked it up because you know me, I always like to fact check before I say anything on, on the air um, or on the show. You know, I could always edit it out, but just doing my fact check now, doing a quick Google search. I, I wasn't sure if Disney owned the name SEAL Team 6, oh. but Disney tried to own the name what? SEAL Team 6 and then withdrew. Yeah, which I guess after doing the um a- after doing Lone Survivor, possibly. Were they involved were in Lone, they, Survivor? Were they, were they Lone Survivor? I'd have to fact check. They probably did something with SEAL Team, but either way, they withdrew it. But I don't know if it had anything to do with that. But I mean, that was a ridiculous redaction that yeah. every time he says SEAL Team 6, blacked out. I, I mean, just come on. That's ridiculously silly. Yeah, and that's even like on our 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 book, you know, you couldn't put our names on the cover, but it's okay to put them in the book. I, you know, that's why it says 13 hours written by Mitchell Zukoff and the annex security team. We weren't allowed, that was part of the stipulation. We weren't allowed to put our names on that cover. It's like, okay, but I'm right here. There's my picture. There's my name on page six. Yeah, but you can't put, fine, don't put it on the cover. I mean, you just, you can it gets to the point, I'm sure Rob was probably the same way, where he went round and round with it. And then it's like, is it really matter? Because you, you like yourself, you said it was obvious. He's probably the same way going, fine, here, have your here, have your little win. We're, we'll black it out. Because it, it just gets to be so ridiculous. And you just get so tired of going around and around trying to explain the ridiculousness with people that don't have any common sense that you finally just say, fine, take it. You won that round. We'll black it out. Everybody's going to know anyway. But We'll black it out. And I'm sure, I'm yeah, the, sure that's the, what he was like, dude, just, ah, let's just get this over with. The thing that sucks is if you can afford lawyers, uh, you know, and this is a big seller, you could still write the book that you want. But for guys just getting in, JT Patton talked about it on the episode that you weren't on with me. But JT Patton, this is not his main job. He just loves to write. That's what he does on the side. And he is no longer going to be writing in the same genre because he said more recently, it's like everything he wants to put in there is blacked out. And he's like, I can't even put out the book that I want. So I, I'm just not going to put it out at all at that point. No, and that's, yeah, it does cost a lot of money. Yeah, it does. It's not cheap. I don't know exactly what we paid, but it, it was, it wasn't cheap, but it was worth the money. It was worth the protection because they can, it can hammer you. And some of your security contracts and you know, I, I'm not going to go with all of them is is that yeah you could you know there's there's heavy 
for violating a security clearance, even though, unless your your name's Hillary Clinton or part of that, <laughs> yeah, for violating your security clearance or, or, you know, Peter Strzok or any of those people, Comey or anybody from the FBI, you can go to prison for 10 years or more. And there's $250,000 fine. Again, it, it, it relates to where you're at within the government of if it's going to apply to you or not. But I obviously at that time, I was like, well, I'm not a high man on the totem pole. I, I'm not, I'm not in the swamp there that have my claws in where I got protection. Um, they can hammer us. So it was worth the money for us at the time. But that's also when you do in the book, if you're going to do something like that. And again, I, I, I don't have problems with guys doing that. We used to only be SEALs did it. We used to make fun of SEALs. <laughs> I, I really honestly feel with the way history is going and people changing history, the education system changing history, politicians changing history, I really do think it's important for veterans, people that have been through altercations or, or events downrange to put that on paper for future generations. Yeah, I, I, it, I helps, it helps recruiting too. No, it definitely helps recruiting. Uh, definitely. The Rangers finally figured that out. <laughs> like Leo was talking about. Leo made a great point there when we were talking about that. But, um, you know, having have, having a publisher, like guys want to self-publish, finding a publisher that will back your book, you know, you do have to pay a publisher a fee, or they'll give you some, or you, there's a certain amount of money that you have to pay to them, but they find those things for you. They're like, okay, we'll find you a clearance lawyer. Or find a clearance lawyer, we'll pay for it. It's worth the money. I mean, it really is. It's, it, people see that, well, I'm going to self-publish. And sometimes that's the only choice you have. I get that. Sometimes the publishers don't want to tackle it because they don't see the money in it. They're business people. But if you have the ability to go out to a publisher and utilize a publisher, you have all those assets that they have because they've been through the processes with books before that they can get you or at least advise. This is a good clearance lawyer that you have. we have on our, maybe even on their own payroll. Like, hey, that you can use. Um, and it, you do want that top cover because you don't want somebody, the government, and you see how they change, you know, presidential elections every four to eight years. You're having somebody else come in office. You want somebody coming out, do you 20 years down the road saying, oh, remember when you said this sentence here in your book? You violated your security clearance. Like, wait a second. What? No, I didn't. It's been 20 years. Well, you didn't have, you know, and you didn't have that lawyer backing you up saying it was OK. So I, I would. Now, I would always recommend, guys, if you're going to put out information, whether it's DOD, CIA, State Department, NSA, private security contractor, whatever, you always have some sort of top cover because you politicians are shady as fuck. And if they don't agree with what you're saying in there, whether I don't know if it's one year or 20 years down the road, they're going to come back after. They're going to come after you because they, they're they're all about getting even, always about getting even. So just to protect yourself and and. um. Yeah, I, again, and Matt, love you, Bissonette. You really, he did with what didn't he didn't do. His failure, and I hate season word failure because nobody knew we would have done the same thing of not using a clearance or getting the book cleared really has taught everybody after him coming out from the military to write a book. Say either we got to clear, get a clearance lawyer or you just got to be careful what you write and make sure that there's nothing classified in there. So, you know, I, I, I think Matt's a tremendous individual. I've talked to, I've never met him personally. I've talked to him on the phone a few times. Great guy. But just the way he wrote too was he's, he's a team player. Definitely. A team yeah. Player. I, would, I would love to get him on with us. And it definitely <laughs> is an indication of, of doing something legally wrong or morally wrong yeah, and yeah. morally wrong. He didn't do anything no. wrong. I, I think right. we both agree. Um, yeah. You know what? And, and before we get to emails, I will throw out a piece of advice for anyone who is thinking of, of writing their own book. If you happen to be listening and you're thinking, yeah, I do want to write something. Uh, I learned this. Well, 
I mean, I knew of it, but I just I, I saw a guy who who went through this. A I won't throw his name out there, but a former Marine uh, wrote a book, a, a prior Marine, and basically he went through a. And I'm going to put air fingers quote here because I don't think this was a Christian thing to do, but a Christian publisher who basically he had to pay to publish his book. And then it turned out, not surprisingly, they were up to some shady stuff and the company got taken uh, under. But as Jack Murphy said to him, um, you know, no publisher should be asking for your money to publish your book. Oh, yeah. They should be paying you. If you have to pay them, they're up to something shady because you could just do that yourself. You could release it on Amazon, which is, I'm pretty sure is what like Truthseeker did. He doesn't have a publisher. I think he just wrote it himself. Yeah. Yeah. They print it free on Amazon. So don't ever pay a no. publisher who's like, oh, we could get you on Amazon. You could do that yourself. You, you don't need yourself. to pay anybody. And sometimes self-publishing, a publisher will read that book. And if it, they've seen that it hasn't picked up any steam, but they like the book, sometimes they'll grab it and they'll say, hey, can we republish your book uh, and bring you on? So you know, and that's the, is, is the, the benefit of having not having a publisher is you have complete control. Do whatever you want. You know, editing, you can put it out where you want to put it out. It's, it's just. But uh, I said the benefits of having a publisher to me outweigh it, even though there's a cost to it. Not to pay for a publisher to publish your book, but the assets that you can use. And also, you know, if they do come in, they say, hey, we're going to give you this amount of money. But when you sell so many, we're going to take a percentage. That's real. That actually, yeah. that's, that's how they make their money. You know? so, but to, to be to be fair here, the average veteran listening to this who's thinking of writing a book isn't going to get a publisher. That's just the, that's just the truth of the matter. They're they're going to have to self publish. And if if they do look for one, I would advise you to go towards a lot of the Christian, like like even even John, like Saint Nick, where at Castle that wrote his book. He did have a publisher for a small book. It was a Christian publisher. It was a a lot of those faith based publishers will want veterans and they, they're small enough that, you know, they're not going to. Hey, we're going to you know, they, they're they're not like they're going to they're going to be in a they're going to deny it because it's not a Simon issues. They're not knocking them, but it's not a hatch yet. It's not a Grand Central Publishing. It's not something like that. Little Brown. Um, but they do want those stories because a lot of those stories are based in faith, man. And so I would and I would always advise if you do look for a publisher, there are smaller publishing agencies out there. Look at some of the smaller books that have been published. And I say smaller just as like because in comparison with the publishing companies, you know, look at those faith based organizations, those publishers. And they 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 are on the level. Um, They may not pay to 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 publish your book, but they're not going to ask you for money either. And they're going to help you with the editing processes and they're going to help you if you ever do an audio book. They'll find somebody to help you do your audiobook that you're not going to have to pay for. So I don't know. There, it's I would we I've been lucky. Guys like you know you know we say who guys like Rob O'Neill have been lucky. Matt Bissonnette have been lucky because we had big publishing companies to help us, and it was a blessing. I'm going to say it wasn't. It was extremely blessing, not knowing what was going on, but to advise the next generation of guys coming up writing books. If it's a huge story that you feel it is. Don't be afraid to take it to a big publisher, but also look at those little publishers and also look at the faith based publishing companies. They do want to work with veterans because they do. Just not not any that are asking you for money. No, don't ever. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. If they say we want money. That was a fate. That was a I'm saying air fingers quotes. 
faith-based faith publisher up to some very shady stuff. That's bullshit. Yeah, you can say them yeah. on the air. Oh, yeah. Well, wait, wait. I don't even know. I don't know who they are. I'll be honest with you. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's mentioned it. It, uh, it. It's a Marine. But, you know, anyway, um, that's, we'll get into Q&A stuff. That's bullshit. I'm oh, sorry. That's, yeah, it is. It is. That pisses me off, dude. Faith, come on. You know, if, if that was you, you scumbags out there, you need to check yourself. That's just bullshit. That pisses me. Yeah. The company, as I said, though, they got taken down, Good. not surprisingly, because what they were up to was illegal. Good. Um. I don't, I don't remember the company's name, to be honest, but uh, we'll get some Q&A before we do. I do want to, of course, mention for all of you guys listening, if you're going to the range, if you're looking for ammo, everywhere you go, they're an extremely low stock and you see a lot of uh, people price gouging and all that, not Fort Scott Munitions, still doing great deals. I actually just ordered some uh, merch from Fort Scott, which you could use our promo code on. They are a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI, their trademark ammunition, outperform competitors in the self defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring you receive the same results with every pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in every state, as well as direct online through fortscottmunitions.com. Use our exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Go there now, fortscottmunitions.com. Offer code BATTLELINE. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. With that, I see you're doing Facebook Live. Do you want to get to those first, or do you want me to get to the emails? We have we have a stack. Uh, now let's get to our questions. The, the Facebook Live people they're jumping on, guys. Facebook Live, if you're watching this, if you have questions, ask them. You may have to ask them multiple times because the feed goes crazy. But and I mean, we have a ton of these. Yeah, and we're I will. I already promised people anyone who emailed. Uh, a question that we get to on the show. We're not, we're not going to get to all of them. So any of them that we get to, I'm going to send you a copy of Luke Ryan's book, the gun in the site. That's awesome. Um, yeah, because he gave me a whole bunch of them and I might as well give them to you guys uh, and you could check them out because Luke is great. Former Ranger, check out his episode. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I'll a, get to this first one. That's What's a up? great idea for the future. That is a tremendous idea for the future. Seriously. Yeah, he sent me a. I mean, he gave me a bunch when he was in the studio. I mean, so. any, of our, any of our guests that we have on that have books that want their books to get out there, we should do that on our podcast. We should. Yeah. Okay. It's start. it's cool. We'll do it. Well, yeah. You know, we're doing it for this one, and we'll see how it goes. Um, this is like multiple questions in one. This is from uh, Gus right here. Love the podcast. As a middle aged guy, I can appreciate the stories and experiences you share. While my challenges are not as hard as most of your guests. I think we all hit that point in life where we need to decide if we rest on our accomplishments or push forward and continue getting better. I have two questions. You can pick one or answer both. We'll do both. I'll start with one. Uh, So the first one is I have taken multiple training courses over the years. What do you recommend people do before a class to better prepare? Well, there's always, you know, if, if you're new and you're novice, there are entry level courses that you can go through, which I recommend you do because First, you do need to learn just the fundamentals, just actually just even the gun itself. How do you break it down? What are the parts? That's important. The only thing it's important it is. 
Also, with those fundamental courses, you learn your gear. What is a good holster? What is not a good holster? I don't know how many times I've seen a guy. Uh, and again, again, you guys that know me, when I say guy, that is a gender neutral term. Guys mean <laughs> men and women. I'll see a guy come through a course that says they've shot a lot, but they have a holster that is not fitted for them or it's just not something that I would recommend doing a concealed carry with because nylon holsters specifically, they collapse. So you, you want to have to go to a course that they check your gear out too, which is a, which a fundamental course. If you're doing fundamentals of marksmanship, that should be part of it. If you're not doing that during a fundamentals of marksmanship course, then you need to find another instructor. Um, but, but just to address his question, do you think there's anything, because his question is, do you think there's anything they should do prior to going prior to go in the course? Um, uh, yeah, do as much study as you can, like the internet that you, you can Google anything. I would do as much study as you can, as far as, as far as fun, just type in fundamentals or gun fundamentals and look at maybe some of the YouTube videos out there. There's some good stuff out there from good instructors. There's great instructors all over the country. Um, just so you get uh, a, some basic knowledge or at least a, an idea of what you're getting into. Then when you get to the course, it's not complete intimidation. Just like if you go to a test unprepared, you go in there because you never studied anything. You have no confidence. You're nervous. You, you don't feel like you belong there. When you go there prepared, which is studying, which is books, media, uh, as far as social media, uh, I, I, you know, YouTube and stuff, you will feel more confident once you get there because you're like, OK, I got an idea what these words mean. When he says uh, a pistol, when he says uh, when he says around, when he says a magazine and we don't use the word clip, you don't say clip. That was that was the old <laughs> the old carvings back in World War II. You, you know the, the, the term and you understand. So when a word is said, it doesn't okay, what the hell did he mean by that? Because you've already done your your due diligence just figuring out what the little buzzwords are when you go to the ranges, and they're pretty much all the same. Magazine, round, firearm, this is your pistol, this is your carbine, there's another buzzword instead of rifle, or so forth. And you just have more confidence before you get there. And then also go through and I would recommend that there are dry fire drills that you can do and you can just search them online and they're going to differ based off the instructor slightly, maybe a little bit hand position, but get whatever gun you're using, put in your hand and do some dry fire drills, understand how to clear the thing, you know, so you don't have around, you know what it like don't around the chamber, you know how to get the magazine out, you know where your, your mag releases are, your slide lock releases on both your weapon systems, whether it's your bolt catch on your carbine or your slide lock on your pistol. Again, it's just little things that when you get to the gun range, you don't feel like a newbie. Like, okay, I understand what you're saying. And you feel more confident. It, it's a, again, it's the same thing if you've gone to school and you study for a test. When you walk in that room for the test, you do feel more confident than when you walk into it for a test and you're unprepared. And then your adrenaline kicks in and then shit just goes downhill from there <laughs> and you set yourself up for failure. It's the same thing coming on the range. Granted, we're not testing you on anything, but you will feel more comfortable coming to the range and, and, and you'll feel more comfortable being there and you'll pick it up quicker. And as the day goes on, you, you'll feel happier. All right. So uh, second part of his question, I coach Little League football and a 4-H shooting program. What advice would you give young men and women to help them prepare for the upcoming challenges in life? And then he also says, keep up the good work. Love getting my weekly fix from the Battle Line group. Thanks. And that's from Gus. So, yeah, if you want to address that second you, you part. Know, the biggest thing is just learn how to handle adversity. I learned more as a kid learning from losing and failing and what I needed to improve on so I didn't happen again. And accepting that, not just – 
Oh my God, this is the worst thing. I think that's what where half of the generation is right now. What we're going through right now is because they they never were taught how to accept failure, how to lose properly, how to lose with dignity, but not be a loser. Just you got to lose, you got to fail every time, every once in a while to learn how to improve and how to pick your ass up off the ground. I think I was when I was growing up. I don't know when you were growing up, but my my generation. Especially growing up in, in Southern Colorado, my dad being from Lubbock, Texas, was the old adage: "If you fall off that horse, what do you do? Well, you get back up on the horse and you keep trying to you try and ride it again." That was how I'm, I I'm thinking. By the way, I, I know you're a movie guy. I'm thinking of Zoolander. Really? I remember what he says? <laughs> what do we do when we fall off the horse? What do we do when we fall off the horse? We get back on. Just oh, still, that's still that's the greatest, still a great movie. I, I can't. My back anymore, and I, I can turn left now. I can't turn left. I can't. Um, <laughs> Hanging Louie is not one of your guys. But um, it, it is. That's the as growing up, kids need to learn how to how to how to lose, how to fail, but then learn how to get better after that. And then also sportsmanship, learn how to be a, a good winner. When you do succeed, when you do win, especially if you're in a team environment and you go up playing little league football, whatever, learning how to be a, 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 a gentleman winner as well. Um, kids have lost that. Now. They really have. And, and it's because, every, we, every, you know, back what was it? Not so much anymore, but back, what was it, five, six years ago, everybody's a winner. Everybody wins. We all get a trophy. No. That you should not be like that. This is what it leads to, to where when somebody does lose or is faced with adversity, they whine and complain and they bitch about it. Or they, and then they say it's somebody else's fault and they pass bucks and they pass blames. And it just leads to what we're seeing. I, I honestly believe there's a direct correlation with it. It, on, it leads to what we have now, which leads to bullies. What leads to, to it does violence down the road. It leads to where you can't accept when maybe you're not right, or maybe your presidential candidate doesn't win, you can't. Ex- and it, 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 oh, you're crazy, Tom. I, I don't believe so. I, I honestly believe that it has a direct correlation to that. You got to learn. You got to be able to accept that adversity and be able to keep driving on. If we would have been able, been like that in Benghazi that night, we would all been dead. We so many times that we did lose a little battle within. That was like, well. Fuck it. All right. What do we do now? Let's just fire and try something else. And, you know, eventually we, we ended up coming out on top. I, I believe we did, even though we lost we lost four four people. Um, there was 32 people that didn't die. And and it, it was to me, it was that old adage. My dad said, if you fall off that horse, get back on it, man. You keep fighting. And I know the rest of the team had that added, had that mindset as well. And so, yeah, that's what I teach the younger generation. And and bring All faith right. back in. You gotta bring you gotta bring God back in, whether you want to or not. You got to. You got or some faith in. It doesn't have to be God. It can be anything. Just something that is bigger than us, because there's something bigger than us out there. I, I guarantee you that. All right. So Gus, I am sending you a book. Uh, let's get to uh, someone else here. We're getting to Ken. Uh, this is actually a good one that I think both of us could get into. Uh, I didn't realize I was supposed to email the questions. I posted this on the Facebook post in the comments. Yeah, so battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. And he writes, um, since you've been through it, what is your best advice for how to get through feelings of depression and thoughts of self-harm? But then he says in parentheses, don't worry, guys, I'm not suicidal or anything. 
figure this is a good question since mental health is an important topic right now, especially with the isolation going on. Great question. Do, do you want to, if you want to, I don't want. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely went through some of my own stuff and it, you know, some people might say, well, what you went through isn't as crazy as what Chris has gone through, but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Everybody goes through something. And if you feel like you don't want to be on this planet anymore, it doesn't matter what led to that, you know? Um, and I've definitely been there years ago and I'm, I'm very happy to be back to myself. I mean, I do think faith in God, faith in a higher power is of course important, but it, I think a really important thing is, is everyday connections with your friends. I do agree that the isolation and your family, the isolation stuff is leading to this. So if you have family members that you can get out and go for a walk with, uh, someone that, that you could just confide in who isn't going to judge you for whatever that you're going through and, and if you have great friends, you really will realize no matter how ridiculous what you're going through is, if they truly love you as a friend and they respect you, they're not going to criticize you. You might think, I can't reveal this thing about myself. I can't say this. But if if they truly respect you as a person, they're going to they're going to say, no, I get what you're going through. And we've all been through something before. And then in addition to that, you know, if um if you do need to go to some type of therapy, I'd encourage that. Everybody has different things. I mean, I know I know for me, um, physical fitness has done wonders for me. And uh, actually, when I went to a therapist, the psychiatrist they sent me to, I was I was very reluctant because like they're going to try to put me on something. And uh, luckily, I went to a very good guy because he said to me, you know, it sounds like you're able to work a lot of things out with your lifting and going to the gym and all that. And that, that helps you. And he said, I could prescribe you something right now if you want me to. He's like, but if not, yeah. it sounds like you have certain outlets that you can use. And I'm not going to criticize anybody who, who goes on anything because I know for some people it's done wonders for others, you know, like yourself, it did, it's it been terrible, it you know, so everybody's going to have a different thing, but I do think connections with other people in your life. And I think everybody at least should have that someone, whether it's a family member or a great friend, they should have someone they could confide in. And, uh, you know, beyond that, the higher power you can confide yeah. in. Yeah, dude, I just, you just keep moving forward. That's it. You just got to get out of bed. When you don't want to move, you got to move. Even if it's just a little Very true. going through my stuff. And you really, and I say you truly yeah. do not feel like getting out of bed. Uh, this, this might be one of the craziest things, but it's, it's just true. I take blood tests every now and again just to see like where my levels are and different things. And I can tell you, when I was going through depression and I happened to take a blood exam, my testosterone, all that stuff, way down. Yeah. It, it was still in a normal range, but I was like, this is a little strange. When I got back to feeling like myself and being able to do what I wanted, shot right back up. So it really, that mental health affects everything physically. Yeah, it does. Um, it does. And it is very hard to get out there and exercise. I remember actually there were a few times I wanted to get back in the gym and I started to, to throw up at times, uh, not even from the fitness, just from the uneasiness. I would vomit. Um, I would just not be able to go for a run. And a lot of the times I do think that is your body telling you something is wrong. I think a lot of the times panic attacks, depression, if you really get to the root of it, it's sometimes, and we've talked about it, your body's saying you're doing something right now that you're not comfortable with. And once you kind of fix yourself and get back to feeling like you and get back to family, friends, faith, and all that, everything will change. And and the the biggest thing I should say too, man, and, and you could get into this as well, but we always feel like we're going to feel like this forever. Yeah. And we're in like that low point. This is everything great feelings bad feelings it is all it comes in waves you just got to ride that wave because 
a week from now, a month from now, you're not going to feel yeah, it. And, and some, if you go in that deep hole, sometimes it, it, it may be a year. It may be, it could, it was with me. It was three, it was three years. It was that, but every day I, I concur with Ian. I didn't feel like getting up. And I, sometimes I had to, because I had to go spell on stage and all oh my trying to get on stage to speak about being positive and overcoming adversity. When I wanted to put a bullet in my head, that's how do you do that? How do you motivate people when you are not motivated at all? When I got on the stage, that was one place where I felt kind of normal again. I felt good because I was like, man, I'm helping somebody. I, I can get through this. And the adrenaline, like you're talking about, the testosterone, the adrenaline would kick in. It's like, okay, I got to motivate somebody. I can suck this up and I can motivate somebody. But then when I'd walk off the stage, it was, oh, this is, I am. But it was still, it, it forced me to take that step. I still was taking that step to, not improving myself more or less, but just continuing to go forward. That was tough, but do you, uh, you know what? I'm just wondering, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do you think sometimes the the stuff that you were motivating people with the words you were saying were the words you needed to hear? hear Because I think it happens all the time. Sometimes you'll notice, and I've heard Jack Murphy say this when you'll see someone every day posting this motivational stuff it's for he's like you kind of need to have an intervention if it's every day yeah. and say are you all right man because it might be what they need to hear they're not even trying to motivate someone else they're trying to motivate themselves and i've been there yeah and, and you're, you're right and that but that's also that's a step forward i again i had an outlet to do that where standing on the corner motivating yourself with a speech about everything probably not a good idea because somebody's going to call it call it <laughs> yeah but having that having that outlet to do that on stage, you know, it, it gave me that to, to really, yeah, it was. It was me thinking, okay, this is how it used to be. How do I get back to that person that I've lost? So, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. But it comes right back to, again, I was still moving forward. So that's as simple as that. Moving your ass forward. Just keep getting up and pushing and making baby steps. Going to the gym like Ian would do. And me too. Physical fitness was a huge outlet. Go to the gym. Go at least get a workout in. Go at least get a run in. Do something. Even though it was killing me, I didn't want to do it. You made I made myself do it. And after that also came back to a lot of it came back to, to ranger training because you were forced to get up to do the stuff <laughs> to go get punished for a day. So it, it, it made me also understand that, yeah, this is going to end just like everything else miserable that you go through in special operations, which why I, I, I I'm so happy to have gone through it is that. Like Ian said, you know, is, is it ever going to stay? Is it this is this always going to be like this? No, it's not. I learned that from being a ranger. The suck is going to end eventually, but it's not going to end if you don't keep moving forward. If you don't keep pushing yourself forward, it's not going to end. If you stay static, you're going to be stuck in it. And that's why you just, okay, it will get better. It will get better. How do I get through the day? How do I, what do I need to do here? And, and just find positive stuff to do. But then also, yeah, just 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 get your ass on the simplest thing. And it's an analogy, but it's also it's also it's also realistic. Get your ass out of bed. You don't get out of bed. Get up. Go do something. Get outside. Yeah. One of the best things I learned is and you may have learned this, too, I guess, maybe after going through the Benghazi thing is I feel like after you've hit kind of your lowest low, everything is not as much of a challenge anymore because nowadays I it's probably been three years since I've felt like that. And now when I go through a bad day, it no longer lasts a week. And sometimes it's only a few hours. Sometimes it's a bad few hours and the rest of the day is good. I, because you, you have a plan. I think once you've kind of established a plan of when I feel like this, this is what I do. Uh, you no longer feel like that anymore. And I mean, I can't, you never, 
know what the future holds, but I don't think I will ever be in that place again you, for as long as I you will. You know what that feeling is? You just hit it right on the head, bro. And you, you could be a special operations instructor because that's that's how they get guys to quit. They go when you go. Through, I can't be a special operations you're, you're, you're instructor. Don't throw that out there. <laughs> guys will quit, whether it be, and I, I, I guarantee you guys that have been through Buds as well or gone through the long walk there uh, at Paul or will tell you. They quit because they didn't know what was coming next. They quit because they mind fucked themselves, not because they physically couldn't do it. It was they didn't know. And that's part of the that's part of the training. I think that's the hardest part of that training is they don't tell you what's coming next. So you start playing mind games with yourself and you start going down that rabbit hole. Oh, my gosh, this is going to suck. This is going to be awful. I'm going to be in so much pain. This is terrible. All this is I'm going to be feeling miserable. And then they quit. Where if you just okay, just keep going forward, whatever comes. We can adjust to it. And then when it happens, then when they try to bring that same drill on you again, like, oh, I know what this feeling is. That's this piece of cake. I can get through this. So it's exactly, you're, you're, you're exactly right. You, it's hard at the beginning, but once you've gone through it once and you understand those feelings and the adrenaline and everything else that goes with it, it's easier to handle the next time. And it's easier to handle the next time. And then it's just, this is going to pass. I'm good. Let's just keep moving. I got to go to the gym. Let's go work out. Ah, shit. Let's go grab a cup of coffee. Hey, I'm going to go to the range. I'm going to read a book. Let's read. I'm going to watch my favorite movie. The shit will pass. It will end and you get through it easier. So you're, you're, yeah. you're right. No. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing too is, is we always say like, put your phone down. Yeah, do something physical. Yeah, this is that's not, huge. This is not moving forward. No, no, well, no. My Posting memes is not going to get you out of your depression. Um, all right. So this one is a, is another good gun question from Jason on an EDC gun. When and what needs to be replaced after so many rounds? I'd hate for it to go down when I need it the most. I guess I'm asking for EDC preventive maintenance advice. Everyday carry. Okay. EDC. That's everyday carry for all you get. Not gun offices out there. I'm not talking down yet. You know what? I didn't know what EDC was first time I heard like, what the, what is that? How? What? Everyday carry. So yeah, it depends on the gun you have. You just got to keep it clean, keep checking it. Um, if it's a pistol, most pistols, you know, you, God forbid you ever want it to go down <laughs> when you need it the most. But that's that's Murphy. I mean, not Jack Murphy. That's just Murphy's law. That's just, uh, that's just it. Sometimes it, it will. It's not going to work. Just have a gun that you've gone out there and shot and put rounds through, whether it's 100, whether it's 200 rounds. Uh, and, and check to see where your strikes, your rounds are going based off where you're, you're aiming at with your sights. You know, if you're throwing rounds and you know your sights are on and you're throwing rounds way left or way right and you haven't done anything, you haven't changed anything up with your fundamentals of how you hold the gun, your ergonomics on it. Um, yeah, you probably want to check the barrel. Barrel could be out. Um, if it's multiple rounds, if it's one or two rounds, then it's probably just a bad round. It's a squib, not squib load, but it's it's a round that wasn't didn't wasn't i say seated correctly in the brass but it just is a bad round it came out of the chamber incorrect i had one that i shot out of my suppressed weapon and uh and it tumbled funny but it was one round so i knew it wasn't the gun because then i shot the rest of them out it was spot on so really though yeah saying that how many rounds before i need to change parts in it that's the manufacturer go by what the manufacturer says and there is a book you know every gun you get you have a booklet and it will tell you after so many rounds, you may need to change this part. After so many rounds, you may need to change this part. Follow like anything else you would, whether it be a lawnmower, a chainsaw, your vehicle, whatever the manufacturer recommends, probably want to uphold to that. But in, the, but in the meantime, make sure it's clean. It doesn't need to be spot clean where you rub the bluing off of it. You know, just clean it up a little, a little uh, 
carbon on there. Never heard a gun. In fact, I think it runs better when it has a little bit of carbon on there. Um, and then also just go out and shoot it. Just, you know, go out and shoot it once a month. If, if you can more, if you have access to a ranch, you can go out every once a week, do that. And if you start seeing rounds hitting in spaces that they normally don't, and you're still doing the same thing you always done as far as your fundamentals go, take it to an armor, he'll check it out, see if the rifling in there, this, this stuff, the tumble that, that where it spins, where it comes out and it's spinning. So it goes straight. Um, the rifling in there will make sure that it's, uh, that it's not been worn down. Like that's what happened with my Frankenstein gun. I shot it so much, but you know, I probably put 10,000 rounds through that damn thing, but eventually I'm shooting it and it's going everywhere places. And I'm like, okay, I'm not really sucking that bad now. Am I mean, I looked and actually sometimes you can look down your carbines and you'll see, you won't see the, the spins anymore. You won't see the rifling anymore. And that's just, it just wears out, but that's thousands and thousands of rounds. So Always go by what your manufacturer says. If you have an armor and you see something's wrong, take it to your armor. Say, this is what's happening. They're just like taking a car in. They know what the hell they're looking at. And they, can, they can figure out there's a piece that's missing on it. Um, and if you're, and you know, big things happen, like your safety's not engaging or you're having a short stroke where you're, you're barely pressing on the trigger and it's not a light trigger and the round's going off, probably something wrong with the gun. Go take it to an armor. Take it to somebody that knows a hell lot more than been an instructor or you and come take a look at it and they'll figure out what's wrong with it whether something's wore down so cool Here, hearing frankenstein gun makes me think of the famous frankenstein eddie van halen guitar oh uh, the same thing this is my pieces and parts i put it together like, yeah 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 that's so cool uh all right this is from scott there's like four different questions here oh, so let's try to run through them all uh dear battle line podcast below you'll find my questions for the next show Hope Chris's puts a smile on your faces. So uh, this is for you. I saw via Instagram that you were in Wisconsin. While here, did you try cheese curds? And do you know how to tell if they are fresh? And then he gives me the answer to how to, how to know. No, I, <laughs> cheese curds. Of course I did. And I didn't know Wisconsin has its own own little beef jerky. Like uh, they're, they're not a Slim Jims, but they're the big beef jerky too. I, I don't want to say it because I, I don't know if I say it, it's going to sound Big the big te- beef jerky too. What is? <laughs> but I, that was fantastic. And of course, yeah, of course, the curds. The curds are fantastic. I stayed out in Lake Geneva at the Grand Geneva. That place is. I love that place in the fall. Oh my gosh! If you're going to go out to Wisconsin, you got to go to Lake Geneva. And the Grand Geneva, it's a resort, but it's not over the top crazy cost. Only the only the richy rich people can go there. I, I highly recommend to go and take you to a water park there for the kids. I couldn't even bring my kids on this one because of uh, my son at a football game, but man, it, it was gorgeous. So yeah, I, of course I, the curves, you got to try the cheese curves. And that's the beauty about Wisconsin. You drive in, just stop at the local Seven Eleven there, the local gas station, and they probably got the best cheese curds because they're, they're home. They're being sold by the local, local merchants. And, that is an awesome drive from Omaha. As long as you don't drive the interstate through Chicago and you go on the back roads from Omaha to Dubuque to Lake Geneva, that's Americana at its finest, man. It's, it's just awesome. I, little towns, farms, corn silos. I, I mean, you, you want to know what still America is. That is it. I love driving that. And, and it, it was it, and just stopping at a local store and getting some cheese curds and the and the Wisconsin beef jerky logs are uh, I, they're they're uh, 
Yeah. And are you so to answer his question because he gave me the answer? Are you able to know when they are fresh? Oh hell no! I didn't know. How do you know? I don't. How do you know what's so? Answer? According to him, he said they squeak when you chew them. Oh, That's how you know. I didn't know that. All right, he gets yeah. a book. definitely gets a book. That dude gets a book. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, "Yeah, any anyone on the show yet yeah, that we that we read?" Uh, but he said, "Yeah, to truly enjoy everything Wisconsin, you have to drink beer and eat curds." Drink beer. Uh, yeah, That's, uh, <laughs> I had a beer. I only had one though because I don't drink a whole bunch anymore. Not good for the gut, but. Yeah, I had a beer while I was in Arizona, which I didn't mention. I was going to mention in the intro. I forgot to mention. I, w- I was floating the idea of moving to Arizona. I am no longer moving to Arizona. I'm staying here on Long Island, New York. I am here. You guys don't see but at my parents' house. And I will probably be here for the next few months because I'm going to end up just purchasing a condo where I was. Because uh, I went What's up? Yeah, I'm staying at my parents. Uh, yeah, they're they're the town away from where I was. Okay. So this is the house I grew up in. The, this is my whole life I lived here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love Long Island. I, I've i always said that I do. Uh, I like going to other places, but I just don't see myself. Yeah, hey, man, that's, you, you feel where you're comfortable at. Um, you know, it's people, if if I, I, I love moving. I moved and lived everywhere when before I even went in the army. I just love doing it. But every time I came to a city that I moved to, I felt comfortable in it. So if you don't feel comfortable in the city, yeah, that's you know that's preference, man. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, I think it's just the fact that I've lived here my whole life. Everybody I know is here. The idea of like seeing my parents, who I see all the time, like three times out of the year, I'd be like, this is weird. But um, all right, and then I'm gonna get to his other questions, which are for me, but we could both answer. And you gonna take this one? Yeah, we'll answer. Go ahead. Okay. Well, you you'll I'm sure you'll have a response to some of these. I think so. He said, Ian. How would I choose uh, exercises and the frequency in which I would uh, I would do them for my personal workouts, which is funny to ask me because I am going to get back to training people. And it's not even I'll be honest, guys, it's not even for the money um, because I make more money now doing the other podcast I do for narrative.fm. It's simply to like get out of the house and interact with people right now. Um, you know, being in front of a computer all day long, I just know it's not good for me. I, I, I like, I actually really enjoy training clients the same way I know you enjoy training people on guns. So I'm just doing it a couple days out of the week, but I I know I, you know, something I wanted to do. Um, as for answering his question, it's interesting, man. It, It really, um, it depends on what goals that you're looking to reach really. But I would always say some, this is very general, but it's also a very general question. But some mixture of cardio, cardiovascular, and some mixture of weight training, whichever you enjoy. And I'm not going to tell you which because some people love to run. Some people love to go on a bike. Some people like to do the Stairmaster. Um, some people like to do stuff with like pulling ropes. So do some of that and something with with uh, weight training or strength training. It doesn't even have to be weights, but some type of strength training. And, every you know, it, the bottom line I always say is, if you don't like it, you're probably not going to succeed. And don't ever go in there with the attitude of, I hate working out. You know, you're going to find something that you like. Yeah. So if it's something that you enjoy, whether it's yoga, whether it's lifting weights, whether it's calisthenics, uh, you're going to see results if you are like, wow, I enjoy doing this. But if you hate it, you're not going to see it. Because you'll quit doing it. You know? Yeah. So I always tell people, that's why you see at the, and you've seen it at the gym before being a trainer. The, the New Year's resolution people, you, a million people in the gym in January and they go in there and they kill themselves and they hate it and they're quitting by February because 
they didn't set themselves up right for success because they did stuff that somebody else probably told them to do and they were miserable and it was painful and this and that. Yeah. I just tell guys, hey, go in there and do something you enjoy doing. You don't have to lift heavy weights. Don't start that way. Build yourself up so it makes it fun first. And then when it becomes more fun and you start seeing results, even just slow results, you start adding more weight and you start going more. And now it becomes a way of life. <laughs> I never go to the gym. Whenever I take a time off from lifting, I do not go back in the gym and try to kill myself. I will gradually start again, just like push-ups. I took, I, I got so out of shape when I was down in those dumps. I really was, I, I really wasn't in good shape and going back in and just trying to do push-ups again. And I started like I started after an injury. When I got injured in college, I went back and I started doing reps of 10. And then after 22 months, I, okay, let's go up to 20 now. And now I'm back up to where I can, you know, I can max out a PT test, an army PT test on, but it, it took me time to work up to that. It wasn't just going back out there and slamming myself. So I, yeah, I've, I've, I've actually trained people that I've seen that I have to tell them to slow down because they're, they're, they're out of shape, you know, or they're, they're morbidly obese in some cases, and they're pushing their sel- themselves harder than I would push myself during a workout. And you have to let them know, like, hey, you're just getting started with this. You want to start slow because you're going to hate it. If you go in here every time and you truly kill yourself and you don't have to do it, you're going to be like, fuck this. I'm not seeing results. You're going to quit early. Um, Yeah, no, take it at a a good pace. And when you feel comfortable increasing things, your body is going to let you know when you feel comfortable. Weights are going to feel lighter. You're going to it's not going to feel as strenuous to go for a long run if that's what you're doing. So that would be my advice. And then for the last question, which I think we could both answer as well. uh, What band when you first listened to them and thought this is crap, but after after time became damn, they're awesome. That's easy. Uh, What and what changed your mind? Thank you for your time. Keep up the good work. Scott T from Wisconsin. You said that's easy for you. I can't because I remember the first time I listened to like these guys are shit. They're terrible. And then I went to the gym, Gold's gym, and I put them in and I listened to their whole album. I'm like, oh my gosh, this shit rocks and it's brand new shit. It's awesome. Lincoln Park. The wow, okay. Lincoln Park album. I listened to one song on the radio and it wasn't their best song. That was the thing. Their first single. Uh, uh, you're talking about everything you yeah. say. Yeah, I was like, God, this <laughs> sucks. And then I went in and I got on the, it was at Gold Gym. My wife was managing it. It was back when I had a break between the army. When I got out of the army and I was going to grad school and I got on the treadmills. It was a Nebraska winter, of course. So it's like minus 20 outside. So I'm running on the treadmill. And for some reason I had an album. It was when you could download shit for free. Remember that shit? Those, those Yeah. Like, uh, Kazaa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, early. Um, and I had the old album and I listened to it and, the first song, you know, I was like, shit, it sucks. And then I went to the next, the rest of the album. And it was, that was that rap rock. And I liked rap, the old school rap. And I loved good rock music. And it was like, holy shit, this is great. <laughs> and like, no, this is probably, and it's still to this day, I think it's probably the, the best, if not one of the best albums that from first song to the end, last song, you can listen all the way through hybrid three, hybrid three. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that was it. And they, and, and I, I love, I love that album too, because I, as much as I love heavy stuff, I love a good catchy hook yeah. and, and every hook on there was like, you would sing it, it would get in your head. Yeah. Great album. And, and I should mention that was Drew Dwyer's favorite band. Lincoln yeah. Park. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. That's right. We talk, we would talk about this. Shit. That, was, yeah. that was one subliminal versus was my other one was Slipknot. I hated Slipknot. 
And then I was in Iraq and I listened to subliminal verses and it was the same thing. I was out running around the green zone and I was like, holy shit, Slipknot is really freaking good. Oh my <laughs> Lord. Cause I thought they were for shit. Cause it was, again, the first song on the radio they put out was, was I, I didn't wait, and, I didn't wait and bleed. It was from Iowa. It was from that album. Oh, okay. Cause I'm thinking wait and bleed. Yeah. Um, but that was from the first no, no, album. No, that, that was it. Wait, wait and bleed. That was the first album, right? That was before Iowa. Yeah. Right? And I was like, yep. this, this song sucks. And then I hit subliminal verses and the whole, again, the whole album. And because Corey Taylor can sing, man, that dude can. And it was a great album. So that, those are my two. That's it. What are yours? I, you know, this was a hard question or when I read it over, I don't, I don't really have as good of an answer as you off the top of my head though. Uh, you know, cause I, I think there's stuff that grows on me, yeah. but I, there's, there's very few things that I, so I was thinking about it. I could tell you this um, off the top of my head. I think early on, I was not into Kiss because there's only so many times you can hear like yeah, I want to rock yeah. and roll all night. And those songs, I don't consider their best. I like 80s Kiss. I like like Vinnie Vincent yeah. on guitar. I, so I got into Kiss way later on in the game. So I would probably say Kiss is that band for me. Uh, and, and a lot of the stuff I like is not their hits. I think a lot of their hits are kind of like overplayed. And a lot of those deep cuts on the albums, I really did. No, you're, you're, and, and, you're, you're spot on. I agree with you. And I'm a, I'm a nerd for their whole history, I think, is all really interesting. You guys should read Paul Stanley's book. And I've also read Peter Chris's book. And I will say this. After reading Paul Stanley's book, I was like, this guy's awesome. And Peter Chris, quite honestly, seems like a little bitch. And reading Peter Chris's book, I was like, this guy is a little bitch. I really... I gotta say, man, I am not a fan of just his life attitude. When you and and even in his own book, you know, because the the whole thing is Gene Simmons and Paul, Paul Stanley were handling all the business of the band, while him and Ace really, quite honestly, were like drugged up, getting drunk in hotels, acting like assholes. So Gene Simmons and Peter and uh, Paul Stanley were like, let's handle the business aspect of this. They took ownership of the name. They kept everything going, and I don't blame them for it. So then when they brought those other guys back into the fold, you know, uh, there was, like, points where Paul Stanley was like, hey, could you play these shows with us? We'll pay you, like, 250 grand." And, and Peter Chris would be like, but how come I'm not getting paid $2 million and you are? And Paul Stanley would be like, listen, you can go on the road with us and make two hundred fifty grand, or you can stay home. <laughs> and Peter Chris would be like, but the fans won't accept it. And Paul Stanley's like, no, nah, I'm pretty sure no, they'll, they'll accept it. And he would like go to Japan with another drummer, like Eric Singer. And he's like, and sure enough, the show sold out, and this guy just stayed home, not making any money. And I, I don't know. I, I totally took his side on that. I know a lot of people like to say, oh, but it's a band. It should be all for one. They should be making the same amount. But I'm sure you've seen it with, with what you do. There's guys who really take the initiative and handle the business end of things, and they should be rewarded for that. No, I, and, and you should. You put more work into it. You're, you're more into what's going on with the with the with 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 Kiss or with the label or whatever. I should say label the the name, the the branding of it. And you, you've ran the business while the other one sat on his ass. Or like <laughs> sit and do blow all the time. Yeah, I think you're probably warranted to, to more of the more of the cut. Where if everybody's doing yeah. equally, then yeah, everybody should be should be getting getting their own cut equally. But if it's not equal, not equal work, then no, no equal work, no equal pay. We're not doing this. Not out. Yeah, it's not how they were. They were the two like straightforward guys of the bands, not doing all those drugs. And and that's why I think they've been successful. But yeah, so Kiss would probably be that band for me to, you know, give you a, 
answer that I went way longer on. Oh, but that, uh, that makes sense. No, I, I get that. That makes because Kiss. Honestly, I didn't care for Kiss when I first heard him too. Like this shit sucks. And now I listen yeah. to him more. And like, man, I wish we had more bands like Kiss. <laughs> yeah, it's deeper cuts. When I hear like Creatures of the Night, yeah. I'm like, this gets me pumped yeah. up. But I, if I hear I want to rock and roll all night, I'm turning it off. I, I don't need to hear that song for the millionth time. Um, <laughs> so this is from Seth. Uh, this is a good one for you. And actually. This is an interesting question because I think this is outside your. This is like a Mike Ritland question, but maybe you'll have an answer. Is it a dog question? Uh, I can't, I can't yes. answer dog stuff. Yeah. He says, What is the number one tool you recommend to carry on you for deployments as a uh, cadaver dog hand? Whoa. Yeah. That's, man, brother. We, we, that's we, Mike we Ritland. Ask a question. We got to ask. I have no, I'm not even going to pretend that like I, I have a clue. Uh, we, uh, we need to, so we, that's a question for Rick because Ritland has his own podcast too, I believe, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah Mike Drop. Yeah, Mike Drop. I mean, we hate to, no, we don't hate to do it. We'll promote other podcasts, especially for good ones. And Mike, Mike has a good one and Mike's a good dude. So I think that's a question for Mike's podcast since he knows a hell of a lot more about dogs than, than I do. And I never had a dog downrange, I never was a dog handler. I love to go and yeah, they were they were always great to have around because they can sense bad things before we ever could. I loved having until you know some of them actually got peak, uh, post-traumatic stress. You'd see them turn on their handlers. I saw that a couple of times where dogs get stressed out too. They know what's going on. Right, dogs are really intelligent. I mean, even more so than you you think from the movies and from just having them around the house. But again, to answer your question, I don't have an answer. I don't. I don't know. I have no clue. Yeah, when I read it, I was like, maybe Chris will have an answer, but I don't think My so. Like, I don't think it's in his realm. Ask a dog handler. Oh, you know who? Good dog handler. Um, Lunchbox. Go search Lunchbox. Um, and Maximum Defense. He was a canine. Tremendous guy. He actually works at Maximum Defense Academy. Good friend. He actually follows me on Instagram. And it says Lunchbox on his ID. <laughs> um, he also has a Facebook page. But, uh, you know, his... Uh, I would ask him because he was one of the best dog handlers for the unit for green. And he was green from that time. I don't believe had their own dog handlers. They pulled them from other units and he was an attachment to green. Um, Dennis Bechtel is his name, but we all call him lunchbox. Email him or uh, text him, text him, DM him on Instagram or, <laughs> or Facebook. Uh, Dennis Bechtel lunchbox. And you'll see Maxim defense probably on his stuff too. He works at Maxim defense Academy, which we all, myself and Paul Braun him do. Um, and he'll have a great answer for you because he's, he is, he knows canines a hell of a lot better than I do. Cool. All right. Um, this one is from, I think his name is pronounced Valdemar, uh, or, you know, it's with a W, but I think Valdemar, uh, this is definitely for you. Chris having the opportunity to deploy in 2005 doing PST. And I'm going to ask here, what is PST? Uh, protect, it can be personal security details or protective security details. It's it's security. It's like secret. Service. It's, it. high, it's high biz normally protection like secret service does just doing it down range. Okay, cool. I'm just thinking if I, if I don't know, there's probably other people in the uh, audience. Like protective security details so, or personal security details. It goes back and forth to whoever you're talking to, but. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I definitely appreciate the work a little more. Knowing what I know, at what point did you hit the wall and knew your heart help uh, your your help was not coming? He says your heart help. Oh, I think he means um, help was not coming. Yeah. I I can tell from what I experienced that when a call for help came and everyone was pulling maps, I'm a damn sailor to see who was close. What happened there is unforgivable. 
thank you for your service. So I, I guess he's asking, yeah. yeah, at what point did you hit the wall and not know that help, I, I wouldn't say help hit, was not coming? I wouldn't say hit the wall. Again, it goes back to our first question where what do we need to teach kids how to deal with adversity, right? How to deal with failure. Well, that was that was one of the first pieces of adversity or failures that happened that night was that there was no help coming. So what do you do? Do you sit down and you cry about it? Oh, I'm not going to get help. I'm going to die. Or do you, okay, what do we need to do next? How do we get out of this? How do we figure it? So to say hit the wall, never hit the wall. Because to me, hitting the wall means you you, you kind of like, okay, we, we gave up. But I, I don't think he meant that. I think he's, when did you realize in your heart of hearts that nobody was coming to help? I would say um, after we got back to our annex, you know, things were going on so quick when we were going to the consulate. And then there was a lot of things, other things I had to worry about, not help at that time, but just with the team, how do we get on there? And then when the gunfire started there, you just get into the gunfire. You're not worried about the help. I kind of knew we were on our own at the at the consulate when we went over. But when we got back to the annex and we kept getting the same, hey, where's our assistance? We're working on it. We're working on it. Like, I've been doing this long enough. Just be honest with us. Nobody's coming. Of course, they're not going to be honest with us. <laughs> and, and then when we have a drone overhead, and we had a drone overhead probably around 1130 at the consulate and still nobody's coming. I would say after that first attack, so when we got back to our annex, after the consulate was over, after we got Sean Smith's body come over, we got there on the top and we kept getting the runaround. And I was the one that was on the radio all the time. I was, I was, hey, where's our assistance? We need inspector, where's it at? The drone, man those, man that, uh, I would say, man the rockets on the drone. Oh, the drone doesn't have rockets. That's weird. We always have an ISR that has rockets. You know, you better get them, them 275s ready. No, it doesn't have it. Okay. Well, who's coming? We're working on it. I was looking at Boone going, there ain't nobody coming. And it was just that. It wasn't, oh, shit, there's nobody coming. It was <laughs> it's just this, that right there was, there ain't nobody coming yet. We're on our own. All right, fuck it. Fucking let's do it. And it's just, okay, let's just keep fighting. So it was, you know, I would say, you know, if I was going to give you a time, 1.30, 1.45 a.m. in the morning, where you just, yeah, there ain't nobody coming. So, and it, but it, that in its essence, it wasn't of a give up. It was more of a, all right, we got to get tougher. We got to get stronger now because we're on our own. All right, we're less people. Let's fucking figure this out. We ain't losing. We're not going to lose. We're just going to keep fighting. And it wasn't, we're going to win either. It's just, and it, again, feeling that's a negative when you say we're not going to lose. It's not that it's that you're harding yourself up to whatever the fucking's coming at you. You're going to, you're going to address it. You're going to take it out. Screw everybody else. It's not helping us. We can do it ourselves and we're going to stand together ourselves. And we honestly, you could even feel the team just, it's like the team just going even tighter. Like, okay, we got to stand as one together. Like you're making a fist, loose fist. And now it's even a tighter fist. There's nobody that's going to get in here and get us. And we're going to keep fighting until, until we're dead or until we get a, get away out of there. And then people, again, we're guys thinking of different ways to get out. Your my brain's always going, okay, how can we get out? What can we do? All right, what, what's going on in Tripoli? Are they coming? Okay, Tripoli's coming. So at least we know we have a jet on the way for some people. We don't know how big, but at least we got some help. And that was kind of a, a motivating thing when we heard Bub's team. We're like, Bub's team's coming in. Like, all right, well, at least we got some help. At least we know we're still moving forward. Talk about moving forward. Things are still moving forward. They may not be moving as fast as we like with an F-16 out there doing, <laughs> doing the highovers or a Spectre, but at least we're still plodding forward. It goes back to what we very first said. You just keep moving forward and teaching the kids how to move forward. So when you get to that point that 
you think you might hit a wall, you don't hit the wall. You either go through it, you go around it, or you go over it, but you keep moving. So that was it. But time, specific question, 1.30, 1.45 a.m. Okay. Interesting, man, and it's a good question. Uh, this is from Josh Irwin. Hi, Chris. I have a question for you. Out of all the branches of the military there are to choose from, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, what made you choose the Army? What made you want to become an Army Ranger instead of joining the Navy and becoming a SEAL? Thanks, respectively, Josh Irwin. Um, and, you know, we'll always get that different. I thought the Rangers was going to be harder. I honestly did. I thought it was going to be tougher. Honestly, I thought that I liked their mission better. Um, I, I, you know, honestly, I, I thought the discipline, because you'd even, you, you get that in the videos, that there's going to be more discipline like the yelling and the screaming at you as you're a private than at the teams. Not that you don't get yelled at, but it, it, and no, it, there's a little bit, there's, there's, it is more discipline at the 75th Ranger Regiment, at least at that time. I don't know if it is anymore with the look, relaxed, like Lee was saying, relaxed hair standards and so forth, you know. Um, but I just thought it was going to be tougher, more challenging. Just not that, and I liked the missions better. I liked that it was straight up DA coming in and, when Rangers are coming in, everything's everything's going to die. It, it, I mean, we have shirts, and it, whether you like it PC or not, but it says Army Rangers, we're going to kill everything in your house. I mean, but that's the Ranger mentality. When, and Leo and Jack and 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 Opie Cunningham, but Luke over there, they'll tell you the same thing. <laughs> Do we have that mindset all the time, though? No, it's not at all. In fact, it, it, the only time it is that is when it's mission on. It's like, all right, we're going in because it's time to go kill everything in the house because that's bad things in that house. We're going in there. And I, I did like that mindset, but I also like that when you're not doing that, you get guys like Leo, like Marty, it, really intellectual individuals that that's not what they are, but they can be with a flip of the switch. But then when the switch is back off, we're just back to being just jackasses that like to goof and have fun and are about five foot nine and, shorter smaller than hell but can run run for days and hump rucks for miles and and it, it just i just i just it, it attracted me if it, it was like a more of a better a better fit um and i'm just a junior ranger there's guys have so much more time than i have in but that was why i chose the army and the rangers is because again it was just seemed harder and the mission to me just aggression 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 and then you can turn the aggression off and it's aggression, aggression, aggression. Then you can turn off and just be a jackass and laugh. That you're uh, you mentioning that that T-shirt made me think of that famous Ranger sign. And I Googled to make sure that I have everything right. And I'm sure you're familiar with it, where it's uh, if you kill for pleasure, you're a sadist. If you kill for money, you're a mercenary. Yeah. If you kill for both, you're a you're right. <laughs> and you've, you've seen yeah, that, right? Yeah. No, and that, that's true. It is. To tell you, and Jack will tell you the same thing. Luke, Tom will tell you the same thing. To tell you that it wasn't fun, I, I'd be lying to you. You're doing it. It is parts of it is fun. There's parts that, but we always had great commanders, at least in my opinion, that I, my battalion were, it, it, to me, it never crossed the line where it was going too far, where it was war crimes. It was, here's the objective. We have to this is bad guys. These are all bad guys here. We got to go and kill all those bad guys or they're going to keep killing other people or there's a high value target. We got to go get them. Anybody protecting them, they're going down. There's no gray area. They're going down. And what I liked also seeing though is that 
if there was a gray area, at least for the guys I worked with, and even when I went to the agency and a lot of those rangers came over and worked at the agency, there always was that they knew that's not a bad guy. Even in the middle of all that shit, you could, a ranger could, I'm not shooting him. I know he's not bad. Oh shit. This guy is taking him out. There was, there was some there with all that sayings in there. And it's true. There is still is there still were the guys I worked with that I knew. And I know Leo's the same way. I know Tom's the same way where you're not going to go and just do an indiscriminate killing. That's not what rangers do, but yeah, I, you know, you, you do have that where it's time to do it. It's, is it, is it sadistic? You're killing somebody and you're not killing them in the name of God or the name of it. it so it can, it can be viewed that way, but I'm not a sadist. You know, cause I know I'm not a sadist. In fact, we go straight the other direction to make sure that we are not, cause it, it's easy to fall down that hole. So we're not going down. Holy shit. This is actually kind of enjoyable. Oh, get back over to the good side. Stop. It, it, <clears throat> it's harder to go all the way down because you can get lost in that rabbit hole. You can get lost and go down that way and, and become that person where, man, this isn't really that hard to do. It's not hard to, to take somebody's life and push it away because then you become Jeffrey Dahmer. And that's not. <laughs> so to me, that's I think that's why a lot of us either whether it goes down to Christianity or it goes down to 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 worshiping the earth and mother nature and how some guys go, we see guys go way that way because we're fighting the urge to go to the left, which is down that sadistic rabbit hole. But those t-shirts. I think I'm pretty sure that was from a famous sign that that shirt was from like one of the early right. Ranger schools. I think. Well, they're, you know, and that from the, the Lerp Rangers, I can't even imagine what's going through their heads. The guys from Vietnam, but when I used to walk in, I, I wrote about this in the Ranger way. <clears throat> when you used to go into the old RIP barracks, the 75th Ranger, the, the, it was called the indoctrination barracks. The barracks to try it out to become a Ranger. It wasn't Ranger school. It was just a try out to see if you can get the 75th. I remember, and this stuck with my head so much. I walked in and you go in and you're already shit in your pants because you're, you're trying to become a Ranger and you're nothing. You went through airborne school. Whoop, you freaking do. And you're get, already getting, getting razzed, getting hazed. And I remember going into the, the barracks and it's just like a cement barracks are painted white. It's just, it's so cold and callous. It's just, it's like walking into an old dormitory from the 1960s that they just repainted white. You walk in, there's block walls everywhere. I remember I looked down the hallway and down the hallway, there's a picture of a, a Vietnam VC. It's a guy painted it, a ranger painted it. It's so detailed and it's life size. His head is life size. He's got the little VC, you know, the rain, the hat on that the Viet Cong would wear that were in the rice paddies. And you see a bullet here and you see his brains coming out that side. That was like where I, at Ranger Town, like, holy shit. Okay, this is what we do. And there is a need, honestly, for bad people, for terrorists. Yeah, it's you got to have guys that, that are willing to do that. But you also have to have the guys that are willing to do that, but then turn it off. So that just doesn't become they, they they become killers, mass murderers, and that's a famous photograph, right? I don't know if it's a famous. It might be, but I I remember from just the the painting how articulate the painting was, how detailed it was. You're probably right, brother. I didn't ever Google it to make sure. I just I still remember though that painting and that first thought in my head because up to that point it was you know 
it was army. It was infantry. It was tough. Airborne school was not tough. It was just kind of cool being airborne, jumping out of airplane. That was when I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I'm really in the shit. What did I sign up for? Am I ready for this? Because you do have to have that mindset. Again, it's that where I say the switch. Switch is on, motherfucker. I'm going to shoot you in the face. All right, switch is off. Turn it off. I want it off forever. I don't want to turn that switch on. But if I turn it on, God help you. Because And that's how I th- – you've met Luke. You've met Jack. You know how we are, man. Most – 99% of the time, we're complete jackasses. We're just funny guys that just, we just want to live and have fun and enjoy our lives. But yeah, there's also other guys I've met who um, I think, and I'm not going to say this is personal, but like they're in a better place now. But I've met other guys who are, um, who have done the same thing that you guys have done. And uh, on the surface, they were very successful doing well, but behind the scenes, they were drinking. They were, you know, and I'm, I'm not talking about drinking socially, like heavily drinking every morning. Um, most of those guys are not in that place now who I'm talking about personally, but yeah, I, and I get it. I get it. Um, and it's great when, when they're able to get out of that and be back to living a great life. Um, we'll keep going with these. This is from Steve. This is a more, or from torch. He goes by, uh, this is like a more technical gun question. Uh, what is the ideal situation slash conditions for a high ready and low ready, which I'm sure you can get into. Also, have you considered 10-person virtual classes on Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, et cetera, covering topics like home invasion defense tactics, active shooter response tactics, including first aid, barricade, last resort confrontation? You've got some great stuff to teach, and virtual classes might be an approach approachable path for trainers and trainees. Just a thought. God bless, bro. Torch. Well, the situation for high rate and low rate, it just depends on, uh, to me, it depends on your obstacles around you. It depends on how close you're having to use cover if you need to. Do you want to explain what that and is? High, high ready is and today. I wish. I, guess what I do have. I know you can't see this on the podcast, y'all, but this is for the Facebook Live people out there. This is why it's always good whenever we do these do a Facebook Live. Yeah, to, to just look at it and. But I don't know, man. Mark Mark Zuckerberg is pretty uh, intimidated by guns. This guy is <laughs> high ready again. I'm not proud of this, and this is I have this is in my in my room here. So don't break it in my house. Awesome. All right, high ready's up here, low ready's right here. All right, all right. So that's how it works. It's just the differences. And then Mr. Zuckerberg, I'm gonna call you Mister because I'm doing it. No, I'm not going to. Mark, I'll put the gun down now. All right. High ready is up here to me for those sort of things. I like to use it when the obstacles are close or if there's friendlies around or people that, uh, you know, you don't want to muzzle. You never want to put your muzzle on anybody, you know, unless you're intended to shoot those people. And you see it so much with people that aren't trained, even the ones that have had guns forever, that they just don't know their muzzle awareness. And I'm telling you, when you go into whatever community you go into, they they will kick your ass out. You muzzle people. You can't do that unless you're willing to shoot people. That's why I like that high ready because you can, you can, okay, we'll do you. If somebody walks in front of you, little Susie walking down the road in the cotton middle of the parking lot that you have a mass shooting and something, you, you can get your gun, you can get your muzzle out of the way so you're not going to shoot somebody accidentally under duress or negligently. I shouldn't say accidentally, negligently. Low ready, it's just more difficult to do, is all. And it's just, honestly, it is more. For to me, high readies and low readies, it's more for the environment you're in, 
the people that are surrounding you, you know, how close you are to them in the vicinity they're in, what obstacles that you have to go through. If you have to pie, if you have to angle, angle through what's easier to get your muzzle on target, if you're angling and utilizing a, a pieing a corner or so forth. Um, so really, to me, it, it's, it's situation independent. It is. It's, it's, it, and I use both. I do like using the higher ready more. I do. I know most rangers like you, asshole, because rangers aren't. <laughs> I learned that actually from guys on the teams. Uh, we didn't utilize it much at Ranger Town when I was there, but it is quicker. It is quicker to get your muzzle up off a target that you don't want to shoot and back on somebody that you need to kill. It's just it's just quicker. Um, they're both extremely effective, though. And also, if you're utilizing, I mean, just think about it. I got to put my muzzle all the way down to bring it all the way back up to get on target where if I, all I have to do to get off a th- off a non-threat or around an obstacle, all I got to do is do this and come back down. It's quicker. So it's just, but it's a preference, guys. It really is. And when I say that's a preference, what I'll tell you is learn both, have both skill sets all the way from a low slung to a 10-gun position, low slung being all the way down, 10-gun being all the way up, even running, I ran like this, you can run fast like that. Believe me. I know all of it. And then when the situation dictates which is better, you'll know which one to use. But you have to practice both. So I'm not going to say one's better than the other. One may be better than the other in a situation or a certain scenario, or like I said, depending on the vicinity of obstacles, than the other. But you got to know all of it. If you don't know all the way from the ground all the way to the sky, go learn it and go to another instructor that can teach the different facets or come to a battle line class and I'll teach you the whole thing. And I'll and I think all both are effective. It just depends. Just depends on the situation. And then what about his question of uh, have you ever thought of doing 10 per yeah, you know, virtual? It's just it's hard to do. It's hard to get it set up. I when I did the uh, virtual book signing. It was a lot harder than what you thought. You know, I, I, get, I thought it was going to be a piece of cake. It's not easy to do. Also, if we do that, I got to figure out a cost that is relative to the training. Um, that's fair for everybody, fair for myself, fair for you guys out there. So that's a great idea. I just, you, it's just uh, come the Lake Geneva course. I got the one course in in uh, November. Honestly, I, I'm taking a break until the beginning of the new year. But yeah, that's a great idea, and and we will. I just. It's a lot harder setting up than what what I thought it was going to be as far as using social media, where I thought, just oh, let's sign up the squadcast, get everybody on there. It's not that easy, especially you know, when you have to answer questions or or just get everybody online at the same time. It's it's difficult to do. But yeah, as soon as we get the new one figured out. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, should I even ask this next question since this is just such a shameless promotion for? Uh, I think you're friends with these guys, so you want me to? Who is it? The uh john albin or albin what does he want does he it's it's very shameless uh, but so i'll ask it he says do you recommend goliath tactical (laughs) if so why (laughs) motherfuckers laughing right now too that yeah Yeah. buy buy some live reads bro (laughs) Uh, yeah i do i I use this stuff and that's all i'm gonna say john you son of a bitch i saw i know you're laughing right now you mother effer um, that's what I use. I use all his holsters. They're fantastic. Um, nice. Hey, 
I, I, by the way, I lied when I said we wouldn't get to every question. We got two more left. Really? I think we're going to hit them all and then maybe some yeah. Facebook Live. I think we're going to hit it just right. We may be able to take yeah. one or two from Facebook Live, maybe. Yeah. All right. So um, Josh Coleman here. I'm new to this podcast, so I apologize if this has already been asked. I don't think it has. Uh, he says, since your salvation, how do you handle the dichotomy of being a peaceful Christian but maintaining the mindset and abilities of a warrior. We almost kind of answered that just, it, it, just a few yeah, minutes. You're right. You're right. I, because you don't go looking for the fight. In fact, the last option is the fight. The last option is to shoot. The last option is to use that gun. The switch doesn't ever need to come on. I never want to use the switch again. I, I don't. And if I go through the rest of life never having to, I, I hope I do. So those that go looking for the fight, that go looking for that adrenaline rush, that go looking at, to be that bully, to go looking to yelling at people during protests and counter protests. Yeah, I was going to say this is also kind of indicative of of let's be honest, the fact that you're not out in no. uh, Portland, Oregon, you know, d- defending one side. No, because God reps both sides, guys. Whether how wrong or right sides are, God doesn't care. God's God is right regardless. And looking to take a side over another side doesn't mean that my side is right. Every, both sides think they're right. The only, that's how you get right and wrong. It's because one side thinks they're right. And the other side thinks they're right. So that other side should be wrong. And this side thinks they're wrong. And they both forget, well, what is the actual right side? Well, it's in the Bible. That's all you got to do. Is, there, there's the right right there. So me ha, looking, going and looking for a fight or looking to stir up shit to me is not godlike to me, how I understand it, how I believe in it. Um, if somebody comes to my door, and that's honestly, that's generally downrange most time that that happened. When I was doing protective security, it wasn't, we were going to look for fights. If somebody came to us and shot at us, all right, motherfucker. All right. Then now, it's now, yeah, it's okay for me to fight. It's okay for me to shoot. And actually, I went to my pastor a couple of times saying, hey, I'm violating the commandment. I'm killing people. And I, I didn't kill, no, guys, I'm not, like I said, I'm, there's guys out there that have just done slit. I mean, there's guys on green that, you know, every night, the guys at red that every night blue, but it, it did like, Hey, am I, am I in the right here? I, I don't know what's going on. And well, he says, were they shooting at you? Did they, did they start trying to kill you first? Like, yeah, well then God's going to accept that. He's, he, he understands. Were you going to looking for a fight? Were you going to look to kill somebody? No, 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 I wasn't. In fact, if they just leave me alone, I'd leave them alone. Well, God will see that. So I, I even had some questions in my head that went around for a little while. And this was before Benghazi. This wasn't during Benghazi. Benghazi even, you know, hey, what's going on? So don't go looking to start trouble. Don't go looking to use a gun. You know, the gun is in my bedroom if somebody breaks in my house. I still am prepared because I know what the worst situation can be. And not being prepared for that worst situation is a, is a I'm not protecting my family, but even in uh and and I'll throw out there even in Jim West's book who I'm doing the narration for not even just a gun don't go looking to start fights if you know martial arts or anything like that Jim talks yeah. about you know Jim has been in a lot martial of bar arts. fights most of them he does feel like he was in the right some of them will tell you you know maybe he wasn't but the last one I just got done with all the actual examples I think the last one was 2008. At an Applebee's, <laughs> as funny as it is, I uh, got into a fight with some guy, but the guy was starting shit was with it? him. 
Uh, was it did someone put livers liver on his onions like Ricky Bobby like Talladega? No, no. <laughs> it was it was some it was some guy. Um, you know what's funny? I could probably pull it up now, but it's so funny because of Jim because he said he was he had to do. You know, Jim does he works for a Fortune 500 company now, um, but he went to some military town and he said this guy the way he called him. I'm trying to pull it up here, but the way he described him, he was like the town stolen val- valor sheriff you oh, know yeah. and you don't yeah, question Jim West on that stuff yeah so he i'm i'm pulling it up right here because he said uh he's like i didn't I, i'm i'm pulling up the actual quote in the book but he's saying you know i didn't want to talk to this guy he's like you serve in the military and jim goes yeah i retired a long time ago and he goes yeah man me too i was in the army what about you army navy jim goes army and he goes, army, army, what? Come on, man. What did you do? You you often were. And then Jim says, you often run into these types of guys in military environments. The self-declared stolen valor sheriff, always on watch to make sure no one is padding their record. He was trying to solicit his uh, bona fides from me and was becoming mildly unpleasant about it. And so Jim said, I retired a special operations technician in 1992. He gave me a puzzled look. Special operations technician? Never heard of that MOS. His suspicion was now peaked. So then Jim says to him, well, you should get out more, buddy. That's what SF Warren, Warren officers used to be called. And so it goes from there to this guy, you know, buys Jim a shot. This guy doesn't take his shot. And then he tries to buy Jim another shot. And he's like, I was a little suspicious. And then he's like, out of nowhere, this guy just punches me in the face. And, uh, but, uh, and, you know, so Jim beats this guy's ass and basically ends up talking to the bartender there. And the woman's like, yeah, this guy does this every week. So, you know, Jim was in the right. But he even says in the book himself, he's like, this is stuff you should because Jim, Jim will tell you his tactics are dirty. He, he says, if you're in a fight, you're in a fight to kill. He's like, so you should have no problem gouging a guy's eyes, kicking a guy in the balls, punching him. You know, like he's like, whatever you got to do to stop the threat. He's like, they won't teach you a lot of this stuff, but this is what you may need to do. And this might mean may mean the only thing that you could do that could level the playing field between a guy like you and I don't know, an a hundred pound woman, right? That's the only way they're going to get out of that situation. They're scary. So anyway, I'm big because they fight dirty women. Yeah. So he's like, you're going to have to get dirty. But Jim's whole thing is he's like, look, this is not something you're going to use to bully people. This is this is what you use when you're in a situation where you feel your life is in danger. So you guys echo a lot of the same stuff because you're from a somewhat similar background, different generation. Same community. You never I don't look for I don't want to fight. I fighting hurts. I don't want to. No, I don't want to. And that's how it's easy to me. It's easy to to balance both because. I don't go looking for a fight. God doesn't, God, God never went looking for a fight. Jesus especially never went looking for a fight. Yeah. But if the fight comes to me and I need to defend myself and I'm not using that as a cliche or an excuse, it is honest. I need to defend myself. I need to defend my family. Then yes, we'll take everything that I know is going to come against you to defend and kill you, not stop the threat. Not put the threat down. I'm not going to get in the the, the the terms that we use in law. I'm not. It's to kill you. It's to get the. Why did you come? Get the fuck away from me. But if you don't, and you just leave me alone, and you're not, I'm going to be nice back to you. In fact, I'll I'll probably give you the shirt off my back. And that's that's the easy thing. I, I it's just it's 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 just like you know David and Goliath. You know David David killed Goliath. David was he was. 
pushed to it. Honestly, I think he was, um, if you read it. But he, he didn't go looking for, to me, I, maybe I'm missing, maybe I missed something in the Bible that uh, I don't think he went looking for the fight. Don't go look for the fight. Don't. Um, but as a fight comes to you, use everything at your disposal and your knowledge to, to kill that person that's trying to kill you. Crazies coming at you aren't trying to hurt you. They're trying to kill you. And they're, or they're trying to kill you or kidnap your daughter or your son. Or, and But again, don't go and like, oh, this is everybody's. It's not. The world is still a great place. There's still wonderful, wonderful people out there. And you have to have the ability to shut all that off. Still be vigilant. Still have be. Still stay woke out there. Still look around, but don't think everybody's your enemy out there because it's not the truth. But if that enemy does come, switches on, and you go from this to motherfucker, <laughs> and you have to. I think all the guys would would. I think all the person people that have been through that will will say that. It's when you start going down that hole and you're looking for the fight. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. And we went through that before where I think because I was I was there for a little while and it wasn't it wasn't any more Christian like it was. I just want to hurt somebody, but it wasn't hurt somebody like Jim does with the fight. It was I want to hurt somebody. Like, I don't want. Yeah. And that's 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 when I you have to pull yourself out. of it. Like I said, with a lot of guys and, Ian, you know, a lot of guys that have, were there and pulled themselves out of it or got in the bottle and drank themselves to almost death until they were to pull themselves out of it that way. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, this last one, I'll, I'll end uh, our yeah, Q and yeah, a with this. Facebook live. And I think it's a good one that we should. Okay. Awesome. So we'll wrap up with this one for the uh, Gmail stuff. And, and it's a fun one. So this, and this is actually from back in July. We just never got to it. Um, so it starts with, uh, and it's from one of our regulars, a question for Ian. What did your parents say when you told them of your plans to get into radio question for Chris? What is your favorite guilty pleasure movie uh, that would surprise your audience to know? Have a great weekend, Georgia Sampson. I'll answer my question first because you're rubbing your uh, <laughs> I, um, uh When I went into radio, so it's interesting enough, I went to Temple University for one year and I re- college was really not for me. I was like, I wanted to go home and believe it or not, really pursue my music stuff. I know Debbie Rashawn mentioned me like rapping the Tony Timpone theme song and all that, but that's genuinely what I was into. I mean, I put out music. I I would have, if you would have asked me in 2005 what I wanted to do, I wanted to make music, whether it's rapping or anything. Uh, that's what I liked doing. It's true. You're laughing, but I'm, I'm being serious. That's really what I wanted to pursue. I, I had, you want to the Beastie Boys, or is that that? Or they were good oh, I love the Beastie Boys. Right, obviously, that's where you fit. you you look like you you look like Mike <laughs> D. You look no, you do look like Mike D. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Keep, keep. No, that's not, uh, so that's yeah, that's what I was into. But you know, my mom was very insistent on you have to go to college. So I moved back home. I went to Hofstra University. Um, I started before I even enrolled in the college, I started working at tower records. And I think this was before I even took the radio course. And I, it's kind of a, a weird thing that I went to Hofstra. I really went to Hofstra because it was close to me. It was within driving distance and I wanted to live here at home. I didn't want to dorm anymore. Um, but they happened to have like the best college radio program. And that wasn't even necessarily why I was going. I didn't know why I was going. I was just like, I need to go to college because my parents want me to go to college. And I noticed while I was working at Tower Records, very often customers would say to me, and this isn't me 
uh, pumping myself up or anything. It's just the truth. Customers would say to me, you have a really good voice. You ever think of doing radio? And it happened once or twice. And I'm like, all right, whatever. But it was starting to happen like every day. We get, you have a really good voice. You ever think of doing radio? It would happen all the, and it still happens to me a while. Like, do you work in radio? So I realized I, I guess this is what I should be doing. And I took the radio course at Hofstra, which was extremely hard. It was, it was harder to get on air at my college than it was at Sirius XM. Um, they just took things very seriously. It was a great program. And, uh, I noticed when I started doing the metal show, The Aggressive Edge, I was getting calls from all over the place. I was getting calls from a prison nearby. I mentioned this on the episode with Joshua Travis because the signal went to a prison. So I would get calls that were guys who were like, yeah, I'm stuck here, but you're getting us through this, man. Play, play some Slayer, uh, which was just, I thought it was pretty cool. I do know people who did short stints in the prison for very you know minor things. And they're like, yeah, I listened to WRHU while I was stuck in there. It was like the one thing I had giving me enjoyment. But anyway, I I was one of the few people that started getting fan mail. I remember this guy, Thickneck, would send in fan mail. He was a security guard. He was he was this big black guy, but he would always call me and he'd go, hey, Ian, it's Thickneck. That, that was how his voice sounded. And he'd be like, and he would just go on these long tirades of what he wanted to hear and how he loves the show. And I was like, maybe there is something to this radio thing. So that led to me doing stuff at Fangoria Radio, led to me meeting Andrew Wilkow, led to Sirius XM, you know, then to Soft Rep, then to this. There's been a bunch of times I didn't even want to do this anymore. I mean, when I left the Soft Rep, honestly, I, I was saying um, I'm just going to do voiceover full time, which is kind of what I'm doing now, you know, in addition to this. But I mean, as people know, like I called you around the time Drew Dwyer died and you just said, why don't we do our own podcast, man? And like, here we are. So I always get sucked back into this radio or podcast thing. And, and I love doing voiceover, too. So, yeah, I guess that's uh, But the question. I'm, I'm avoiding the question. The question is, what did your parents say? If I'm going to be honest, here's the thing that's kind of fun. I think they're glad I'm doing something. But I do think like typical Long Island dude, you know, Jewish guy from here. He probably would have preferred if I said I want to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something rather than doing radio. I think they'll take this over me like pursuing music, which it could be a lot harder. And, and this has kind of worked out well. But honestly, I have a great relationship with my parents. I think they're supportive of me if I'm, you know, putting my all into something. And they, they've always been in pretty supportive in, in terms of this. So um, they wanted they really wanted me to go into this because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So they, they were just glad to see me do something. Um, all right. So as for you, guilty pleasure movie that your audience uh, would be surprised. Uh, no, I, I have easy. That's the, actually I was thinking about it. There's a couple actually that I watch it and I love watched it. One's called the. It wasn't the very first one. It was the second one made. It's called The Producers with Matthew, yeah, Matthew okay, Lane yep. and Matthew Broderick. Yep. The, I, my wife hates that show. And Will Ferrell in there. Will Ferrell is the is the Nazi. The Nazi, uh, he has the Nazi script of springtime with Hitler. Yeah, it was originally a, a musical, right? And then they made, they it, made it a musical. I think it's hilarious. I laugh every time, you know, and it's no, it's, it's, it's completely a lot of gay overtones. I mean, it, but it's hilarious. And, and I, honestly, the music is kind of funny. And Nathan Lane is, I think he's, he's one of the best. I, I every movie he's in, he's hilarious in. I think he's just a spot on great comedian. Um, so producers, man, I, I don't think anybody think I'd watch that. I, I'd love it. And then uh, another one, I just, every time I watch it, there's two of them. 
because my daughter watches it. I feel uncomfortable and I'm like, I don't want to watch this. I shouldn't be watching this. I feel dirty watching this. My little pony. No, no. It was like, gosh, but I can't walk away. And if we watched it again last night, and I'm like, I can't watch this movie. And I stayed and watched the whole thing. Pitch perfect. The first one. <laughs> Still. God, I, I don't, I shouldn't be watching this movie. This is not because it's dirty in that way. It's just like, not like I'm thinking of, of the young girl. <laughs> no, but if you enjoy, you know what I always say though? I don't feel that there, if you're so insecure with who you are, who's secure, you, there shouldn't be guilty pleasures. You know what I mean? Like I will put on, on, in my car, the Acacia strain, something super heavy, and then you'll hear Madonna or something. And I am not at all oh, ashamed of liking any of it. You always talk about that you like yeah, Elton John. I, love, I think George Michael's, I still love George Michael on my workout playlist. And he's sort of a different, you know, anywhere from, from Luke Ryan to George Michael to Aquid and Mellow Man Ace to Five Finger Death Punch Slipknot. The movies, it's just, I'm watching it going, watching a musical with, and it's it, it's not, I shouldn't even call it guilty. It's like, man, why do I enjoy this so much? And I'll still watch it. I'll sit down and watch it with you. And I'll admit it. Of course, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I think it's just, to me, it's it's funny to say it. And it's funny it being in the in the following that I have. It's, it's, and that's why I was downrange too. I'd watch the stupidest movies where guys would come in there and I'm like, why are you watching this shit, Tom? And they'd say something, something that I'm not going to say on the, say on the, on the podcast here, but it, it was always that way. I wasn't afraid to be myself, but it's still fun to talk about it. So when you say guilty pleasures, yeah, it is to me. It is. And, and it's funny too, because my wife hates half those movies that I watch. I love the producers. I love musicals. I love watching musical movies. I love the great, the greatest show with, uh, with, um, the guy that played Wolverine. Help me out. Um, Disney movie that, I'm, you I'm, know I'm talking. It, it's called The Greatest Showman. I I love music. Okay. Um, I'm laughing because when you said your wife hates some of these, I remember. I'll tell you. I love documentaries, and I'll see whatever documentary if it's out, especially if it's music related. I was dating some chick at, at you know when this came out. There was a Justin Bieber documentary. I wanted to go see it. I like music documentaries. It was uh, it, it was Never Say Never. And uh, I'll be honest, this girl I was dating, super hot chick, out of her mind. It was a fun, it was a fun time. But I look back and I'm like, this girl was kind of nuts. But anyway, I remember going to the movie theater, getting two tickets to Never Say Never, and then them being like, "So which one of you is a bigger believer, like you or her?" And the truth was, I'm the one who dragged her to see this. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> no shame. I know she, I love Justin Bieber's music. I have it on my, on my workout <laughs> playlist too. I think it's it's he could and the new stuff is even better than when he was a young. I haven't heard the new that song. I like that song. Uh, what's it called? Uh, oh, as long as you love me, that's a good. That's a good track. Yeah, it's good. Uh, good, yeah. good stuff. I like anything with a great hook. It doesn't matter if it's it's Corey Taylor singing it or if it's Justin Bieber. If it's not yeah, a great, great hook, hook, it's a great and, hook. And, you know, he, he, it's perfect, man. So, uh, so I guess th those are my guilty pleasure movies, but the genre. That a guilty. I love musicals. I will watch musicals. <laughs> Not shit, but do you ever go to a Broadway yeah, musical? I saw, I saw um, Book of Mormon. Awesome. I still haven't seen it, and who knows? I I'm not necessarily convinced you'll ever see uh, yeah, Broadway probably. musicals come back to New York. It's a weird, weird. The Book time. of Mormon was at. Uh, it was. It was what it was meant. It was that good. It was like it was supposed to be that good. It reached the expectations that I thought it would. It even exceeded them. 
And I don't care if you can say anything about Trey Park. Is it Trey and Matt? Trey Parker and yeah, they're they're, they're Cone, super yeah. geniuses. They are as far as in that. Yeah. No, they're they make. Oh, I, I agree. I don't I care agree. how much you even dude, even basketball. I love that movie. I love basketball. You ever see Orgasmo? Yes, of <laughs> they're just so brilliant, thinking off the wall. Uh, I just. They really are. And you know what? They're the only show, if you saw that pandemic special, which I thought was hilarious, they're the only show who gets away with what they get away with. And and they do not care, man. They're just like, they don't care about this woke stuff going on. They don't care who they offend. And they are not going to bow down to the PC no. mob. They're the only show that just refuses to. They refuse to bow down well, to the PC mean, mob. Because they're damn near smarter than everybody that's trying to ban them. They are brilliant. Team America, the puppet one, Oh, who, oh makes, I love it. who makes that? I saw that in Kandahar and I'm like, I'm not watching this stupid puppet movie. And then I sat down and it was still watching. Surprise, cock bag. <laughs> Andrew Wilkow dressed as one of the Team America guys for Halloween once and it was really good. Like, it looked spot on. All right, we got one line, so I kept you. Okay, yeah, let's one do last it. One is from, here we go. Here we go. Diane. Um, here we go. Let me find it again. I had it, but damn near. It was, it, I want to get her name right so she knows it's from Diane. I believe it was Osborne Portnoy is what her name is. Hold on, let me make sure I got it here. But she's asking, asking what gun, handgun do you recommend? She says, I'm brand new. I want to get a gun, not sure what to go with. Is it better to go with the smaller caliber to start? I'm going to take a course. Honestly, no, sometimes the smaller calibers like the SIG P3, P3, uh, P365, because they're so compact, they're tighter. And the springs are so tighter, so much tighter than a, a fuller size gun that they have more recoil on it. They're harder to manage. So my advice to you is go to a range that lets you rent guns that has in there. I would always, I always recommend, guys, if you're just starting to shoot, go grab a Glock 19 and shoot that. How does that feel in your hand? Um, anything bigger than that? Yes, it can be overkill. And then it's, that's, it's not the recoil anymore or even the caliber with the recoil. It's just, it's too big. It's, it's too big for your hands. If you get something that's too small, especially newer shooters, if you have bigger hands, it doesn't fit right in your gun and you can't manage the recoil. Also, like I said, the spring is so tight because it's so small because it has to generate so much force to extract around and put another round in the chamber that there is a lot of recoil to a smaller gun as well. So new shooters, even though I'm not a huge fan of stock glocks, I, I don't think they're, I think they're okay, but they are a good one to where to start your measurements from and then base your parameters off that onto what to go to next. Um, and if you're a new shooter, having all the extra safeties on there, external safeties, the, the grip safeties on there, probably want to wait or at least if you're going to train more with it, um, get something like that. But you have to work on all those safeties because under duress, it doesn't become natural to flip all those things off. That's why blocks and some of the SIGs made it so you only have really a, 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 an internal safety or a drop safety that you don't have to manipulate because they're finding that people under duress couldn't switch them on and off. So start with the Glock 19, that size, that standard size, and then try something smaller, try something larger, and see how it fits in your hand. I, I'm always, again, not being a big Glock fan, but that being someone's first handgun is always pretty good to start off with, and they're relatively inexpensive in comparison to other guns out there like Kimbers and some of the STIs and then some of the, especially when you get into the other one, the H and K's and the CZs, 
Um, Wilson Combats. I mean, when you're getting into it, you go to the, you start going to those two three thousand dollar guns. But just start with the nineteen, and at least try it out, and then work your way there. But go to a range that lets you try guns out first. And the other thing too is find a holster that actually works for concealed. Don't get. I, I just don't want. I don't recommend nylon holsters. Get something that's hard that holds its shape because those things collapse in your pants. You try to you try to put it in the holster and you're gonna have a negligent discharge into your leg because it catches on that holster because it doesn't hold its shape. So that's it in a nutshell. I know we went over, but I just want to answer that question real quick because there's no going over, man. It's, we get to go as long as we want. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anything else we should get to? I, I think we've covered uh, everything going on. You you have your course in November, yeah. of course, if people want to sign up. ChrisTontoPeranto.net. Um. Actually, we checked this. We we I got the domain back, so it'll it'll all go. You can do ChrisTontoPeranto.net, but ChrisTontoPeranto.com finally got it back. Got the domain. It, you can search both, and it's going to come up to ChrisTontoPeranto.com. It's a new website. New Tano Gear Locker website, new uh, new sponsors you know coming on Gladiator Solutions, which says Body Armor, a new sponsor of KPI and Battle Line. Um, so they'll be so we do getting you some good body armor out there. And I shot it with an FAL, which is a 308 bullet. Me and Daniel Lombard out there at the range put shit eight nine rounds in it from a distance of 20 meters, and dude, the thing didn't collapse. That's unheard of on ceramic body armor. That is unbelievable. But um, yeah, just new stuff coming in the future and then check out the new websites, uh, Tonal Gear Locker and Battleline Podcast. We have that broken out. It's a new format on there on the ChrisTonaPro.com. You can check that out. And you actually can see Ian's bio now. It's on there in full and you can see what he's done in his life up to this point. Yeah, I'll have to update it. I'll have to update it just three months from now because I realized 2021 will be 15 yeah. years of me working in radio. Yeah. I feel old. <laughs> um yeah wrapping things up here as i always say guys we do this completely for free we're not on patreon or anything like that chris isn't on uh only fans <laughs> i'm thinking you know about only fans if you're during this whole pandemic of uh of yeah it's been crazy. but anyway we're not on any sites like that so if you support the show just uh support our sponsors that's really the way to do it buy a hat from fort scott or some you know, or some ammo, of course, anything. So Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors, in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring they receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online through fortscottmunitions.com. Use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the Battleline podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline podcast. We also have Battleline podcast shirts. Uh, link for that is in the description. And uh, yeah, we'll have a new show up on Monday. We have some great guests on the horizon, you know, and regardless of the election coming up, that's I'm, I'm glad we're not really getting into any of that. We're just keeping it 
interesting for you guys as much as we can. You can be successful under anybody. I should say even under anybody anymore with, with what we have in D.C. You can be successful with anybody in D.C. Nobody's under any of those offices anymore. Oh, my Lord. What, what things come out of the mouths of people on D.C. anymore in the Hill. Just to, just keep just keep grinding, man. Just keep grinding. And move forward. You're gonna you're gonna improve, and you're gonna be you're gonna be happy. So yeah, thanks for everybody out there. Thanks for the Facebook Live stuff too, guys. We'll we'll try to run that in here whenever we do a me and Ian podcast. And I can't honestly, I can't wait to have little school teacher, uh, children's book writer Julia Mackey about her experience in in D.C. during the riots because just yeah. knowing her and knowing how she is. And then reading that excerpt that she, you know, we, we got from her, um, you're going to hear her voice and you're like, oh my gosh, that girl was on the front lines with armor. The way you're going to just, you, you'll be able to picture her face when you hear the little, the little, it's not timid. It's just, you can tell she's a small, she's a small person. And I saw, I know Julia going, my gosh, how the heck, but it, it's, it's going to be a good podcast with her. I'm excited. For that. Yeah. That's down the line because we, we have a lot of good guests on the horizon um, that we've booked in things. So, good stuff. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never quit. <laughs> <laughs>